So with October, like I said, basically being in hiatus because we don't know if the lighthouse or uh, the uh, Jojo Rabbit is coming out towards the end of the month or it won't be till November, we decided to play it safe and just go over all the news so that way I can wrap up this uh, little October podcast so that way at the end of the month I can just upload it and be done or maybe upload it a week before, I don't know, because it's just all really going to depend on the lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. So uh, basically we're going to be going over some big news stories that dropped, uh, like the Joker thing, the whole Paul uh, Dano as Riddler, the El Camino thing, Jonah Hill exiting talks, Jeremy Renner's little scandal he's going through, Elton John and the Lion King. We're going to cover a lot today on this. So, and if we can I, think of any other news. Yeah, and if we can think of any other news that's off the top of our head and stuff, I guess yeah. we'll uh, we'll bring that back at the ending. But let's start off with the one that I am the most interested in. So Joker, this film that's getting bashed by a lot of left critics that were kind of like, oh, this is a dangerous film, it's a violent film, it's going to cause gun violence. Like, yes, because people with, without brains are going to be like, oh, that looks cool, I should grab yeah, a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this film was under a lot of scrutiny, and in fact, it, it actually started off at like eighty uh, percent and dropped clear to a sixty-eight. It even <laughs> lost it. Yeah, is a bitch. Uh, it was at a sixty-eight percent certified fresh, and then they took away its certified fresh. They were like, no, 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 it's not certified fresh anymore. It can continue to drop if it wants, and it hasn't. It stayed at a good sixty-eight, and it's not even worth being a sixty-eight on Rotten Tomatoes. Honestly, it deserves higher. It, it really does deserve higher. This is the first case in which, well, this is one of many cases that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. So, anyways, uh, Joker ended up looking at all those critics smiling laughing punching him in the face and then being like look at the money we made and telling marie that's an oppressed society and everything yeah so <laughs> how much money did it make uh opening weekend i don't know if this is uh u.s or global it got 96 million opening weekend which is like the best for an opening weekend for a, mm-hmm. a rated R movie in October. I think for a movie ever in October. Yeah, in the U.S. that was 96 million. That is the best opening for any movie in October, honestly, like an R-rated film in general. Yeah. But uh, first off, it's I gotta, currently at 233 yeah. million. Is it? Currently, right now, it's at 233 million. Oh, really? I thought is, it would have grown after the last weekend. Uh, Check box office mojo. That's what, but that's what box office mojo said. Oh, does it? I think yeah. I was just on the website. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so first off, the 213 million as a, as of October 16th, 213 million. Wow. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Worldwide, it is made. That's important. How much oh, is it made Oh, worldwide? I didn't even see the worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide, it has $606 million. Okay, that's Okay, this is just domestic. Mm-hmm. That I was yeah, yeah, yeah. So, worldwide, it made $606 million, which is also still fucking great. That, yeah, this is actually pretty amazing for Warner Brothers to make a movie that has actually caught it, that has caught people's attention, really made people want to go out and yes. see their new movies. People are now getting just as hyped for the Marvel films as they are these new uh, Warner Brothers films. They're like, hey, Marvel, you're kind of doing the same thing. Look at what DC just did. You guys really got to do something kind of groundbreaking like this, or we're just going to look at Warner Brothers for a while. Well, everyone's going to be like, oh, well, Marvel made Endgame, which is at, like, the highest grossing film of all, all time. time yeah. But this is a really good thing for uh, Warner Bros. Uh, and DC, especially if it hits uh, one million, because I think this will be their first film of their, and uh, all of their movies to hit one million, or one billion, I mean. No, 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 Dark Knight Films made them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. They made I billions, they made billions, don't forget that. Um, yeah, so, I, I was still really happy to hear that Joker was making a lot of money, and now that I know that it's at 606 million worldwide at the time of recording this, this is honestly, like, That's a great movie. move for DC. Like, yeah. honestly, you've shifted away people's look at Marvel, and have started to get them to look at DC, and I really hope DC keeps I, this creativeness yeah. going, because if they don't, Man, you really blew your shot here because you're doing fantastic. 
we might be getting a Joker uh, sequel, uh, according to Joaquin Phoenix and them. There's there's talks for there might be a sequel. Maybe. Uh, which, Joaquin's not a big sequel guy. He's though. not a big sequel guy, but if he's talking about a sequel, I, I'm definitely excited for it, because that's fucking... That could be awesome. Yes, and there's, sir. there's uh, Birds of Prey, which is coming out, which I believe we both think is looks this looks pretty good. It doesn't look yeah, amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll it see looks how it like, out. It looks better than some of the other movies that have come out. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, so Joker is... I'm very proud of it, and always will be proud of how much money this movie made, despite all of the critic bashing and stuff. I think you mean stuff. Taxi Driver. Well, maybe. yeah, pretty much Taxi Driver. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, for the most part, uh, this was a movie that did make a lot of money, and I was proud of through start to finish. And honestly, I think it's great for DC, because they've just been kicked yeah, around yeah. by Marvel for so long to where they can get up and go, look, we have a possible franchise here, along with Shazam. So I find that interesting. Yeah, because I think they're doing a whole separate... Um, section of the company specifically for these kinds of films where it's like one-offs for different characters they could be we'll see we'll see if they do that that'll be awesome because we could get a lot more character pieces on the interesting characters of batman superman and uh, wonder woman and uh, aquaman and like their villains could get a lot more one-offs which i think would be amazing i really want to see a two-face film just for yeah, some that would reason, be I want to see that. Because, um, like, we didn't get to see a lot of Two-Face in The Dark Knight, so that would be a lot yeah, a really be, interesting really to see interesting. a whole movie for him. Yeah, Aaron Eckhart obviously couldn't come back, sadly, but I, I'm i sure they could cast They him. could get we'll someone see. with a chiseled chin. We, we'll see, yeah. Um, but anyways, moving on to the next big piece of news. So, Jonah Hill exited talks for the new um, Robert Batman, Pattinson yeah, Batman. Batman film, and I was a little upset because I was like, there's Penguin, and Penguin's gone. Yeah. And so I was like, who are they going to get in to come and be the villain now? Like, this is something that I, I really was kind of like, who are they going to get? Like, I can't think of anybody else that would be a perfect Penguin. No, we're going Riddler, and this guy whose name is Paul Dano is Riddler. Do you know anything about Paul Dan? I've never heard the name. Let me Google it real quick. Okay, but so... This will be interesting because we're getting a uh, non-Jim Carrey Riddler because I feel like the Jim Carrey one was too goofy. I don't know. I feel like Jim Carrey brought a great energy to that movie and stuff. It was just the script was not good and it was not yeah. overall like a fantastic film. But I really, really enjoyed the movie altogether and stuff. Like uh, the uh, the goofiness of us, I guess I should say. Like as a film, it's bad. But like I enjoyed the goofiness of that yeah, film. Yeah. And so overall, I will say that like I am excited for this casting. But again, I don't know anything about this guy. Do you, do you know anything about him? Um, no, but according to Google, he has uh, credits in Prisoners 2013, There Will Be Blood. Uh, I've heard he's really good in that. Little Miss Sunshine, Wildlife, Swiss Army Man, The Girl Next Door, Looper. Oh, uh, yeah. 12 Years a Slave. Oh, Ruby Sparks, an... uh, that one, the Okja, O-K-J-A, Okja. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taking Lives, Youth, and many more movies. So it looks like he has you know, a pretty good... Uh, list of movies in his credits. Man, how about that? Yeah, so this will just, be interesting. He's probably one of those guys who you've seen his face but you don't know the name. Uh huh. Yeah. So Robert Pattinson, uh, being Batman, also will be interesting because I think he's a he's really becoming a great actor, yeah. and I think that honestly he, a lot of people give him a bad rap because of Twilight, and that's not fair. He, like it his, honestly is. His career got um slowed down because of Twilight, which is he even he hates Twilight. People like give the man some respect. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like he he honestly is a really good actor, and it's a shame that most people will be like, oh, he's a Twilight vampire guy but no if you've seen some films with him and i'm like i just watched this movie high life that i really liked um i, I, yeah, I didn't watch that. which was uh he was actually really really good in that and then he's in a netflix movie coming out that's like the king's hand or something like that and i hear he's gonna be good in that and then nice. the lighthouse obviously which i'm most excited about with him but he's been busy yeah he, he's busy and i think this is good for robert pattinson that people are starting to take him serious now as an actor and i think that's great yeah so moving past that we will now get into el camino hit 6.5 million yes. views opening night can i say 
that these numbers might be exaggerated on Netflix's part, but this was also very anticipated as a movie. Oh, yeah. So I'm not exactly sure, because I know that Netflix is very much uh, a company to, like, stretch some numbers in their own in their favor. They've done it before, so I'm saying this will be awesome if it is true. Oh, I hope it's true. But if it's not, like, fuck you, Netflix, for saying a lie to us. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I kind of believe this because there have been a lot of Breaking Bad <coughs> fans that are just, like, yeah. bombarding, like, they've God, been I waiting love... for this, and yeah. it, it's just huge how much I've waited for this movie, and... I wasn't disappointed. Neither of us were disappointed. Like, I can believe that a lot of people watch this because, honestly, it was marketed super well. People were hyped for it, and all that hype led up to a really, really good conclusion for Jesse Pinkman. So I can believe this number. I know Netflix likes to exaggerate, but I believe this as of right now. Yep, that's that's really all I can say. Next thing we have is um, a little... We're going to be getting a little tabloid here for the next one we're talking about. Oh, but Uh, how the mighty have fallen. So... Jeremy Renner, we all know him as Hawkeye, has been getting into a little trouble lately during his uh, divorce case and his. Uh, th- he wants to see his kids and stuff, so He's like his custody case. Me. So apparently, he was high on cocaine, threatened to kill himself and his wife, and has done multiple other bad things. There was one report that said he put a gun in her mouth and threatened to kill her, which is another thing. And that then he it- shot up at the ceiling while his daughter was sleeping. Uh... Jeremy, what if, if true, this is not good. I don't like Th- this. this. Is, I mean, he's done with the Avengers franchise, at least. Like, he's retired now. He's, retired, maybe. He started but... a band, I think. This is going to be interesting, because I know how much the media loves Jeremy Renner, but now that he's done something like this that could or could not be true... This is really going to make or break the guy's career because there's a lot of people in Hollywood that are so unforgiving and they will me too you straight out of Hollywood nowadays yeah. to where, Jeremy, you've got a real bad case here to the point where you could be Kevin Spacey'd out of Hollywood if you're not careful. Yeah. Um, and I, he, he's a great actor. Don't get me wrong. Like, he's not terrific or anything. Doesn't he but, have a show coming out? Uh, he might. I don't I know. Was, but Isn't there a Hawkeye show being made with him? Him and Disney his daughter, Plus? yeah. And so now I, I wonder how Disney handles this because... Oh. Now Marvel and Disney may have to think, hey man, we may have to recast Jeremy Renner. If they have it done already and don't feel like reshooting, they could always put a disclaimer saying, we do not agree with the whatever the what's pers- the actor in this has previously done or this, whatever this is just interesting for the disney company as a whole because yeah. they they are not very good at handling stuff like this like remember james gunn had those tweets that came up and then everybody got angry at them they fired james gunn yeah. for tweets he made 10 years yeah, ago. yeah and then everybody got mad at disney disney's like oh we're sorry we'll we'll fix this and they brought him back and then uh they also were not going to get back in talks with spider-man and the mcu fanboys got upset and they're like oh okay we'll, we'll get back into talks i'm sorry so if people get mad at you know the media for making out Jeremy Renner to be bad or like Disney releases him or is like we won't make films of Jeremy Renner anymore I imagine it'll be the same effect people get well, upset if, if he if he is actually the guy if he did actually do all this stuff oh, yeah, like, there's there, no forgiveness there's no one's gonna forgive him for a while like he might be able to come back in about 10 years if he's lucky well look at Kevin Spacey he's it hasn't he's been coming back kind of but like not he, really. he released that weird fucking YouTube video yeah but uh, Jeremy Renner could come back if this is true. But right now, it's it's safe to say if this is true, 
his career's fucked oh, for a man. while. And I guess it's good he did Avengers Endgame, but now, yeah. He's, he has the money, I guess. I mean, he's had money he for He probably a while. got a lot of money from Endgame. Though. Oh, yeah, he got a ton. Um, But, yeah, poor Jeremy Renner. I mean, I, I don't know the guy personally, so I don't know much about poor him. Poor or not poor Jeremy yeah, Renner, we'll, depending we'll, on how we'll things We'll see how out. this plays out, so we'll come back. No definitive future. statements. No. So the next one, which is one that I'm honestly really happy that Elton John came out and said, was the new Lion King is a disappointment and he hates it. I was in laugh if when you were talking you were just like, uh, Elton John hated Rocket Man. <laughs> that would have yeah, been fucking been hilarious. Um, but anyways, no. yes. Yeah, so the new Lion King, a film I really hate, but you kind of like. I just kind of liked it down the middle. I thought it was just good. Enough. I really hated it because it's a very lazy shot-for-shot shot remake and literally has no care or passion put into it. Are you saying that the five-minute scene following a tuft of Simba's hair around was not the best That's scene? That's the only new thing besides There's the Beyonce, Beyonce stuff. Yeah, that Beyonce but that, that's literally it. The rest is just do 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 Scar's song short. And they made it worse. But, yeah, I really hated the new Lion King and everybody was kind of on the same boat. They didn't like it. There were the Disney elitists that were like, oh no, they made a good film! And like, then I think my brother thought it was uh, pretty good like he likes the soundtrack and stuff yeah. but my brother is also not a, like as critical of movies and stuff as i am that's fair There's he people. also likes adam sandler movies in 2019 he liked the ridiculous six uh, that's interesting um let's not talk shit about my brother though well i didn't plan on it i was just gonna say i don't like I don't, I don't like the lion king so um, yeah elton john talked shit on the lion or didn't talk shit but he said it was uh pretty much a disgrace to his name his music that was used for that, pretty much. Yeah, and and his, so his company took part in the production of this, so how I know. does that work? So now this will be interesting because uh, Elton John has said bad things about a Disney film, and as we all know nowadays, Disney is starting to get their foot in the Oscars. They're like, hey, we're going to start controlling what you can nominate and what you can, especially yeah. after the acquisition of Fox. This will be interesting if Disney is just like, hey, voters, only nominate the Disney and Fox stuff. Well, Forget all that. No matter what, Disney's going to win an award this year. Oh, yeah, they'll animated most likely, which... They'll probably get something for special effects yeah, for Endgame. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, probably get because everything for uh, First Man got it last year over Infinity War, so the Academy still appreciates actual good effects. So. Yes, but also Disney might pay them off because they got three, five uh, billion, seven hundred billion dollars. That's very, very true. I, I kind of expected, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, anyways, now this will be interesting because will Disney just tell the Academy voters, hey, give Rocket Man maybe like two nominations? Or will he just, like, all together, probably? Rocket Man was separate from Disney, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, it could be where, you know, Disney puts their little hand over uh, the Academy's shoulders. It's like, hey, don't give Elton many nominations. Give him a few, but not many, and then they kind of go back. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I'm not excited. Oh, I'm not excited for that. Yeah, neither Especially am I. Especially since Rocket Man was a really good movie. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. Better than fucking Lion King. Yeah, but for sure. <laughs> Anything's better than the new Lion King. Um, So something I want to talk about... Uh, so something new I want to talk about uh, that's been in development for a while is the new Safdie Brothers film, Uncut Gems. And oh, I don't, fuck, I forgot I, about that. I, I do want to see this because they have been saying Adam Sandler is very, very good in this, and it has been a very long time since Adam Sandler has been good. So uh, there's been a lot of like critics that have come out and said that he's actually really good in this movie. They really? think he could get an Oscar nomination, which that is rare for Adam Sandler to ever be in the talks for an Oscar nomination. So That's fucking terrifying. First off, I do think that the guy is a good actor, in certain movies. His comedies, I hate him. I mean, some of his, his comedy, early comedies. His early comedies I like, but his newer stuff I hate. He's a good actor and stuff like, if you've ever seen Punch Drug, uh, Drunk Love, no. he's really good in that. I haven't but, seen anything past, like, or anything between, uh, like, 
bedtime stories and one of his earlier movies, uh, like fucking The Waterboy. I haven't seen anything between those, and I haven't seen anything after bedtime stories. Yeah, but they, they've been saying he's really, really good, so that really interests me a ton on, hey, I need to see Uncut Gems before the year is over, yeah. but we'll see how it goes. Uh, is there really anything else I, I want to throw out there? Is there anything you can think of as I'm thinking? Nope. Really? Nothing? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I genuinely cannot think of anything. Um, all I can say is fingers crossed for some good movies these next two months. Yeah, and it'll it'll be interesting. I guess there was the whole, uh, this, the guy from Scooby-Doo that played Fred came out and said some oh. stuff about the Star Wars franchise. What's you his name? You mean Fred? Yeah, that's what I just said. Or Fred. Fred from Scooby-Doo. Fred. Oh, that's his name? I think his name is actually Fred. Oh, is it? Yes, hold on, let me look up... The live-action Scooby-Doo's, right? Yeah, 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 I think that's his name. Keep talking, let me look um, this up. Anyway, so, uh, Fred from Scooby-Doo came out and kind of told all of the Star Wars fans, like, hey, you need to stop getting so butthurt over the Disney films, all you fanboys and want everything to be Yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr., okay. Yeah. He, he came out and was like, hey, all you Star Wars fans, you need to grow up, you know, you just need to stop being so butthurt about the new films. Sorry that your fanfic didn't become the new film. Sorry that these new films are better than the prequels. Sorry that the original trilogy isn't as great as what you think. And he was saying, because he's obviously under Disney's wing, because he's done some Star Wars stuff, he actually, in the Rebels TV show, voices one of the main Jedi. I did not so know Disney obviously has kind of corrupted poor Freddie Prince Jr., so where he's defending everything they do. And I gotta say, me being a Star Wars fan after the statement, Freddie... You say that Star Wars is for kids, right? And that's fair. You could say there's stuff in them that is for kids, but there are grown adults. There are grown people that still buy the video games. Most of your income comes from these long, uh, hardcore fans and stuff. When you say something like this, you alienate that audience. You get them kind of ticked off because you called them fanboys and stuff like that. And that really is detrimental to Disney's income is when you're saying stuff like this, how they're going to react to that. Because personally, I think Star Wars is for everybody. Young, old, middle-aged, like everybody can enjoy Star Wars. But you're saying it's only for children, which is not the case at all. And you say that the films are meant to only be understand, like meant to be understand by children. But again, if you've seen episodes one, two, and three, which are prequel messes, but have political themes that kids are not going to understand and then uh four five and six which also have some themes kids aren't going to understand it's not just for kids like yeah there's yoda in there that's going to be goofy and stuff you have uh the ewoks that are going around taking out the stormtroopers and stuff yeah you've got kitty elements in there but it's not completely for kids hayden what Freddie Prince jr cannot hurt you anymore oh uh, no i'm just saying it, i hate <laughs> it when celebrities do this to where they feel like their opinion is the correct opinion and they feel like they have to defend this company that has given them all this because like no opinion is the correct opinion. no and i don't like his take on this i like if he were to come out and say the halloween films are only for a bunch of like uh children how would you feel about that i would just disregard it because i know he was fucking stupid or he came out and say it's only for like middle-aged white men or something would you be upset or would you agree no that kind of makes sense because it came like the people who watched it back I then know, would be middle-aged now i guess but it's just kind of like i don't like actors that try to give their own agenda on stuff like this it ticks me off a little bit like i don't they're like sharing it. their opinions <laughs> no matter if it's disney related or not I don't see anything with sharing your opinion. Now, if you're acting like your opinion is oh, he acts truth like, throughout the entire like it, podcast thing. He acts like his opinion is right, and uh, I hate that. I don't know. I I you can't really judge the guy's opinion since the last thing he was in that was notable was the George Lopez show. No, he was in Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> the last thing he was in that was notable was the George Lopez show. 
Yeah, but Star Wars Rebels also has that Disney. The last charm. thing he was in that was notable. Well, is the no, George no, no. Lopez I'm just saying it, it's interesting because you've got now the uh, episode nine that's coming out at the end of December, and I wonder how this is going to affect some Star Wars fans that are like, okay, this guy just told us off that we're we're not meant to see it. It's for children. Okay, children can go see it. We'll just sit back because uh, Disney was already kind of in problems after Solo only made three hundred and fifty some million at the box office, which was a bomb, major bomb. Because what was the production budget? 250 million plus Jesus reshoots. Christ. Plus, plus reshoots. <laughs> yeah. Holy so shit. It, it was a financial dud because all the Star Wars films have made billions of dollars. And so oh. this was the first one to not make a billion, and now it's concerning with this new one. So, But they had Childish Gambino. It'll be interesting to see. Well, nobody cared about the backstory of Han Solo. He doesn't need one. And it was it was just, it's a mess now, right now. Now, if we got one about Lando Calrissian, I would be in. And I don't Somewhat. even like Star Wars. We'll see. I, I mean, it'll kind of depend. But that being said, that pretty much wraps up all the news that came out in October. We will move into November next, I guess, which is Oscar bait season, like we said. I hope some of these stories come back and kind of complete themselves, because, like, we got well, Jeremy Renner on the cutting room floor right now. If, if anything comes out, we'll probably come in and add on to the end of the podcast with more news. Yeah. Uh, but for now, this is kind of... Because it is only, like, what, the 17th? Yeah. So yeah. we have plenty of news. Yeah, yeah, still. yeah. Still. But the uh, month is still here, but, I guess. But right now, this is the news, and we're going to throw more on as time progresses. Hopefully. We'll see. We might even have to re-record this segment. We may have to, but we'll see how it goes. But that being said, that's all of the news that came out in October. We shall now move into the first film, which is Wrinkles the Clown. Spooky clowns scare me! So, Wrinkles the Clown, the documentary, Hayden. This is a strange film to kick off October because I did not know this was a documentary. In fact, I didn't even really know that this was even going to entail an actual person that dressed we, up like a clown. So, we thought this was going to be a either a found footage or an actual horror movie based on a clown called Wrinkles. Yes, because what didn't help was the company that marketed this film had marketed it as like a found footage movie, and I was like, okay, this looks like it's not going to be very good, and that's what I was hoping, but... Then I, I rented it, I started watching it, and it was formatted like a documentary. I'm like, this is not an actual documentary. And yes... This is an actual documentary. This is the first horror documentary in a long time that I have watched and have actually just been kind of somewhat interested in. Now, I've already seen two documentaries this year, and this one obviously does not stack up to those two. Oh, what are the ones have you seen? Uh, so I saw the Fire Festival one oh, that was on Netflix, yeah. and that's actually a pretty good one I'd recommend if you want to know a little bit about the festival. And then the other one was Leaving Neverland, that uh, Michael Jackson documentary. <laughs> that one's all right. I mean, I'll admit it. I, I, I like that one because it's neat to see the sight of those two people, yeah. even if they're allegations are a little meh but then this came out and i was like i don't i don't plan on seeing any more documentaries so i'll just watch this found footage movie and then i'm like oh crap i guess i'll end the year on this documentary and so uh yeah this was kind of interesting watching it because i would not expect this to be an actual thing i would not expect an actual person to dress up as a clown and walk around and scare children but the documentary is full of twists like an actual movie which is something i guess we should talk about uh, real quick once we get into it but uh, Brian, I made you watch this not knowing it was a documentary until I warned you after I had watched it, so 
What do you think of Wrinkles the Clown? So, uh, I I only had about 18 minutes left, but you told me the last 18 minutes are pretty much not important. No, it's just him kind of being like, I don't know what Wrinkles, you know, legacy will be. A good clown, a bad clown, he'll influence people, bad or good, but, yeah. We live in a society. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I thought this documentary was, I, I got about 20 minutes in the first time I tried to watch it, and I was like, I don't know if I like this or not, and then I stopped. And then today, uh, I decided, well, Hayden wants me to record, so I'll finish watching it. And I, I still didn't finish, but uh, fuck it. Um, I thought it was okay. I, I, it's not. It's nowhere near the best documentary in the world. Mm, no. uh, I, I doubt it'll get any even recognition from anyone this year. I, I mean, it's only made like eight thousand dollars, so I sincerely doubt anybody's really caring about this. Didn't Red Letter Media's Space Cops make more than that? I mean, yeah, but that's not a documentary. That's <laughs> like a film. But um, the interesting thing about this was I was kind of invested into why this guy decided to cr- come up with the whole Wrinkles the Clown thing. And I was a little interested on why this urban legend was so big and stuff. And so uh, the target of this movie, obviously, is that it's like an urban legend, one of those internet urban legends like Bloody Mary or uh, the SC or the SCP that's breach containment or something like that. This is what that it reminded Charlie, me of. Charlie Charlie thing yeah. where you stack the pencils. Yeah, and yeah. You're like, and Charlie Charlie and it turns. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck. So the documentary is kind of primarily focused on like little kids interacting with wrinkles, calling the number and stuff. And then these grown uh, adults and stuff that are calling and are like, hey, wrinkles, if you ever show up in my house i'll shotgun you in the face i'll tie you to a tree and i'll beat you to death even, with my baseball bat even kids are leaving yeah i know so fucked and up. uh the documentary primarily focuses on these three kids that have a fascination with wrinkles one is a morbidly obese kid that makes youtube videos and he he's like yeah wrinkles the clown is interesting to me he kind of inspires me to do what i do i think i have like a dream in filmmaking someday this one redneck that, that is- kid is me uh, that one redneckish kid, uh, he he's fascinated with clowns and stuff. He like draws drawings of wrinkles. He wears a clown mask and stuff. That he's like, I know, and he's the most messed up. He's like, yeah, if I have a kid, I would pay wrinkles to hide under his bed all night and claw him while he's sleeping. I'm like, why? And then there was that thing where he's like, uh, I think people want to put masks on so they can't be, uh, so people don't know who they are. And he was like, I'm, I'd put a mask on and I'd go to school and people won't know who I am. And I'm like, this kid's gonna fucking kill somebody. I know. Someday. And then uh, there's this girl. That that uh, she's like half fascinated with him. She also just wants to know why he's doing it. She's like, Wrinkles, why do you dress up the way you do? My mama said that if you come around here, we can sick my dog on you. And then she like wants to be a comedian. So she also like paints her face as a clown. And I was thinking, you know, I just watched a movie called Joker with kind of the same premises of what this little girl wants. So this little girl lives in a society. It's interesting. But this documentary was interesting. I'm not going to say because like all around, it's a pretty basic documentary that follows like a small scale event or small scale urban legend like there are other documentaries out there that do it a lot better but this one was just kind of one that I, w- I was somewhat interested in and it was interesting to see how like this myth had built up and stuff and throughout the documentary they're hiding the face of wrinkles and stuff and he's like an older gentleman and he's like yeah I'm gonna talk like this because I don't want kids to know who I am you want wrinkles you're getting wrinkles and so throughout you just kind of follow and he explains a little bit why he does it and stuff and he's like well I'm just trying to make money on the side and I think that's the biggest thing is I ain't got many years left on the planet so I might as well do this as a side gig and then what kind of helped the case was there were all these videos on YouTube and stuff of like wrinkles like there's this very creepy one that's got like 600,000 views on YouTube of like wrinkles coming out from under this little girl's bed and then yeah. uh, taking the camera and removing it. The girl's bed is like one of those beds that has a drawer underneath it and, and uh, he's lying under in that drawer and he pushes himself out 
stands up, like, or no, sits up, like, looks around a little bit, looks at the girl, gets out, walks over, and just grabs the camera, and it's set to look like it's a, like, a security camera. Yeah, and uh, there's other ones where, like, this family's got a game night, and Wrinkles is, like, staring over the fence, and they all run off, and then at the ending, he, picks, the, yeah, uh, he picks up the phone at the ending and uh, unrecords it, and so everybody was getting fascinated, like, Jimmy uh, Fallon was talking about it on his show and stuff, the news was going crazy, they James even, Corden. yeah, they even interviewed him and stuff, and he was like, yeah, I'm just the clown. I'm trying to teach kids a lesson that are misbehaving. And then uh, we get to see some parents in this documentary that even, like, have called Wrinkles and are like, yeah, so I always tell my kid if they're misbehaving, Wrinkles is going to come and get them. It's basically parents use the clown as, like, psychological warfare against their own children. Yeah. and It's so, so fucked up. I know, and it cuts back to, like, all these experts that are like, I don't think this is a good thing for parents to be doing this to their children. And I'm like, I sort of side with that, but at the same time, I just find it funny. It's funny, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the documentary has a twist halfway through, and I wasn't expecting it at all, and I was like, okay, I mean, why couldn't you just do this at the beginning? But uh, the old man that you follow throughout and can't see his face is actually an actor. Yeah. Yeah, it's like BD song. Yeah, and uh, he's just been kind of acting as the stand-in stuff, like the perfect uh, height and body weight and stuff. So a lot of people have been like, oh, yeah, he's just some 65-year-old man. And the actual wrinkles, he has like a modified voice. He sits clear in the back. There isn't much light around him and stuff. And he's like, I prefer to remain anonymous and stuff for my own safety, my family's safety and stuff. So I found that a little bit interesting because it was just like, all right, you built up all this to show us like the actual wrinkles. And so this guy talks throughout uh, the ending and stuff about how, yeah, I set it all up and stuff. It's all fabricated. The YouTube videos were meant to spark an urban legend and stuff. And I think it's interesting people are, uh, like, invested in wrinkles. But... There's also repercussions because then it cuts to a bunch of like news stories of like how there are clowns hiding in the woods. They're yeah. trying to lure children in. And I was like, you, that's also kind of something I didn't think they would touch on. It was like, well, how is this affecting other people that dress up as clowns and stuff? And then it shows that perspective. Yeah. So, um, I, I did not know about the wrinkles of clown thing until you uh, told me about this. Um, so that was like 2015 when Wrinkles the Clown was like popular mm-hmm. and that sparked the whole clown craze of 2016, especially around October when everyone was freaking out cause they kept seeing like strange clowns and like the, the headlights of their car or something. And, uh, that pretty much like sparked outrage of, uh, 2016. And I, I, I really remember that. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of strange to me because I had never expected like Wrinkles the Clown to leave such like a strange legacy to where he gets a documentary because I'm sitting here throughout most of it like why interview this guy because like I get it he he has this number you can call we called it at the beginning obviously and he has a voicemail it's still an active account and stuff and I don't know if you can actually pay the guy to like walk around and stuff because he's like primarily based in Florida yeah. And so, like, you'd have to drive to Florida, contact him, and be like, hey, dude, can we get a picture? Because at the ending, it, it ends with a montage of, like, him out there dressed as the clown taking pictures with the kids and stuff. And even, like, the actor guy is out there taking pictures and stuff. And I was like, okay. And then it, like, ends with that. I wonder what Wrinkle's legacy will be. Will it be good? Will it be bad? I'm not even sure. And then the documentary just kind of ends. Yeah. And, yeah, this was a strange documentary. I'm not going to lie. Pretty much everything that you've seen about Wrinkles is all staged. Yeah. Like, the entire YouTube account, that there's a website and stuff, that's all staged. Those are all videos that the guy, like, got with his friends to make and stuff. So, uh, it's it was, it was a publicity... Not really a publicity stunt, but it was like a... 
thing they purposefully did to try and get like notoriety on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a weird choice that they kept making throughout the documentary was I, like, I yeah, it would just cut to the most random, like basic horror movie stuff. So like wrinkles takes this little girl out of her bed, starts walking out of the house and onto the streets and stuff. Like it shot like an actual movie. And then all these parents are like looking for that little girl screaming her name and wrinkles just trying to run off with her. And I'm just like, okay. what is this? What's going on and, here? Like, the girl wants to be with him apparently. Yeah. Which it's is fucking... I know. And then it cuts to, like, this one kid talking about how Wrinkles, like, he uses blood and stuff. So, like, and then it cuts to, like, a very serious horror movie shot of, like, Wrinkles painting the wall with blood and dripping his mask in blood. And I'm just like, what is... This is a documentary. What's going on here? And it was just an odd choice. I don't know if they were just trying to pad the runtime of this very short, because it's only, like, an hour, 18-minute documentary. Yeah, it's, it's not very long. And I was just like, okay, I don't get why this is in here, but you do you, I guess. So I guess now we'll get into synopsis for uh, Wrinkles the Clown. So uh, I judge documentaries a little bit differently. I usually give them letter grades based on what I learned or took away from the documentary. Uh-huh. Yeah, like movies, I straight up just judge on how much, like, you know, it filmmaking-wise, how great it was, and then, like, all the other stuff. Yeah, and all of that. And then uh, documentaries, I just take away, did I learn anything from it? So what'd, I mean, you, what'd you learn, Brian? Technically, I did learn something, but... I didn't like it. Yeah, so I guess your synopsis of this uh, little documentary. It, it was not a very well put together documentary. There were some interesting things like with the psychologist and that fucking uh, folklorist or whatever he was. Mm-hmm. That guy that had a fucking troll face on the side of his cabinet. And I was like, alright, that guy's fucking not uh, normal. Um, so it was a weird documentary. It was hardly a documentary. Uh, poorly structured, uh, hardly informational. If you were on the internet back in 2015, uh, I mean, I was, but I, I, I didn't know about this, but I also didn't care. Um, this, if we're doing letter grades, I'm giving this like a D minus. Okay. Um, so from Wrinkles the Clown, a documentary I was not expecting much from. Did I learn a lot about this folklore? Yes. Did I learn that Wrinkles the Clown is kind of a messed up creature? Yes. Did I learn a lot about how this is affecting kids and adults alike and how it spawned the insane clown posse? Yes. But at the same time, you don't really care unless you're into, like, the internet folklores and stuff like this and all the urban legends and stuff. Because for the most part, this would just be, like, a normal documentary some film student was making. Because, like, even the camera budget on this movie isn't really anything special. And so that's kind they of... They probably bought some, like, Canon cameras from Yeah, Walmart. and the story itself isn't, like, really interesting enough. Like, they've had to pad the runtime of this documentary to keep it going and stuff. And I just was not really that invested. I'd probably just give it a straight-up D. I, I didn't really like this documentary. And, well, at least we got through it, I guess. Yeah, at least it wasn't, like, a Slenderman documentary. Well, anything. let's hope that doesn't, you know, drop any. There is soon. the Slenderman movie. Yeah. Which I did not see because I, I haven't either. I didn't and care I refuse to watch any movies based on creepypastas or like spooky video games. Yeah, so that being said, that will conclude our review of Wrinkles the Clown. We shall now move into whatever movie is next. So basically, uh, Hayden and I saw this new movie, Gaminiman. With um, these, this uh, this well-known actor named Will Smith. He was in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and stuff. And there's this new up-and-comer named Will Smith who was in this movie. They were... I'm out of breath. <laughs> they were both, like, the best. They were so good. Um, Will Smith, the esteemed well-known actor, 
play as Gamini, uh, which is probably the best role he's ever played. Um, Men in Black, no. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, he's Gamini, and then there is Will Smith, the up-and-comer, who plays Min. Uh, I, I think it's Chinese. I think that's a Chinese name. Uh, so, Min is like this, supposed to be a clone of Will Smith or something. If you've seen the trailer, you know. So this is the greatest movie we've seen, right, Hayden? I mean, this subverted so many expectations and came out of nowhere to where if this doesn't win Best Picture, I would physically cry. Yes, this is... I, I'm gonna be honest. Nothing can even match this movie. Fight Club? No. Um, John Wick? No. John uh, Wick doesn't have the great action like this movie because yeah. Will Smith takes one bullet and caps two guys through the head. How many times has John Wick done it? Like twice? Yeah. What, what, what does Keanu Reeves have over Will Smith? Will yeah. Smith trained with Marines for hours. When, when Days. He, uh, there's a very powerful line in here where Will Smith says, I'm definitely allergic to bees, and I really felt that. That, I, that was strong. I, that was probably my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. That and when he said, uh, when the female actress, whose name I don't care about because she's not important uh she says what else are you afraid of other than bees and he says drowning mm-hmm. i felt that that was the best that was probably my favorite line i'm mm-hmm. gonna be honest the, when the uh, bees line i i like the nod to fresh prince of bel-air when they asked uh, uh fresh prince will smith hey where did yeah. you live philadelphia i was like oh my gosh yeah. for the he lived with his mama yep. in philadelphia didn't have a dad um, which, as we all know, if you've seen Fresh Prince of Valor, uh, Will Smith plays a Marine um, who lived in Philadelphia and then moved in with his uncle and in, in uh, Bel Air, I think. Uh, yeah. So this movie is kind of, in a way, a spinoff of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, this is the later years after you the, know. the later years when he's in his fifties. He is um, taking on uh, the Gamini program, of which he was named after. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what, what is your final synopsis and rating of this movie? This game? movie just is probably the best thing I've seen all year. The twist that comes at the ending, which we'll get into, is just beyond mind-blowing. Like, it literally yeah. made me sit down at Flat Top Grill, look at my meal, and go, this isn't Gemini, man, get it out of here. And I, I sat there and thought, Will Smith has been such a mediocre actor for so many years. Like, The Pursuit of Happiness... What kind of film is that when you compare it to Gemini Man? He did a movie with his own son when he could have done a movie with this up-and-comer named Will Smith. It's just, like, great acting, wonderful special effects. The de-aging CGI is just gorgeous in every single shot. Yes. And it did, I, I, I am actually very mad that the theaters did not show it in 120 frames per second because if you yeah. think about it, the movie could have been a lot better, but screw screw big chain movie theaters. I'm boycotting you until you show Gemini Man in yes. its true format. Um, what I think we needed was a little, a little bit more shaky cam. Maybe. But that didn't really take away from the movie, and I think we could have used another night vision scene that uh, especially gets brighter when uh, Will Smith, the older Will Smith, of course, lights up um, a flare and blinds him, uh, the the young up-and-comer Will Smith. I think that scene could have really been taken into a little bit more. Maybe they could have built a relationship off of that. Mm-hmm. That is very true. So, my synopsis is 10 out of 10 story, 10 out of 10 acting. Both the Will Smiths are wonderful. Should get Oscar nod, should win it over Joaquin Phoenix, Taron Egerton, Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, whoever gets nominated. Like, should most definitely win it. It's Martin Scorsese, the Irishman, I don't even care about seeing it this year. Star Wars, I don't care. Gemini Man, 
10 out of 10. Uh, it's Gamini Man. Well, a Gamini Man, but it's a masterpiece, and yes. anybody that wants to argue that can come at me. Uh, if you call it Gemini Man, uh, check your privilege. Um, so, what I think of this movie, it's, as you said, it's a solid 10 out of 10. Will Smith and Will Smith both play their roles perfectly. Everyone else sucks. Um... But that's fine. They're they're acting against Will Smith and Will Smith, of course. Uh, like you said, Brad Pitt's not getting anything this year because of this no. movie. Leonardo DiCaprio, pff, jack shit. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, with who the fuck is he? Some method actor? Fuck you. We got Will Smith and Will Smith over here. Uh, who else? Taron Edgerton. Yeah. Who? Yeah, exactly. Pat- Who's Elton John? Yeah, Robert Pattinson. Why would he get nominated? The he- guy from Twilight? Yeah, he sucks. Willem Dafoe? Oh, it's even worse. The but- guy from Spider-Man? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I guess both of us agree on a 10, right? Yeah, it's a 10 out of 10. Perfect movie. I hope this uh, this movie better get every award. Otherwise, I'm boycotting the Oscars. No, I- I've already uh, started after I'm- they didn't give Suicide Squad Best Picture oh, like three years ago. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. All right, so now into the real review. First off, I just want to start off by saying, for the people that are going to hate that intro, because I know there's going to be some people that hate it, sorry, this film just kind of broke me and him and Brian at the same time. Like, I I just sat there and was going, it's literally like they took a script, put it in an algorithm machine, punched in action movie, and then the computer just crapped out Gemini Man and was like, here's your movie, and they made it. It was actually all ones and zeros, and they were just like, oh, we'll figure it out. It's just like, this, when people say that computer algorithms are making movies now, I used to not believe that. I used to be like, no, there's no way. But after seeing this movie, I believe that theory exists and the people that are saying it are correct, because this feels like an algorithm-ran movie. It is so bizarre just how cliche, how many times it's been done before, just... Overall, this movie was a bore to me. I literally wanted to leave at some points, but I already paid the price of admission, and I was just like, you know what, I'll get through it. Luckily, this third act twist comes in that we'll get into that just made me love it even more. It made me crush my soul even harder, but just, this movie is a train wreck on so many levels and feels like an algorithm movie. So, Brian, Gemini Man. At at least, wasn't the price of the tickets pretty low? Yeah, well, we saw it before, like, 6 o'clock. You get the pre-matinee price, whatever, still. So, we at least got that. That's Um, still not a bonus. You're right. Um, So... We joked about two up, uh, two Will Smiths. Obviously, it's one Will Smith, and they just de-aged the other one, or the him as a younger fucking... I don't like this movie. The can de-aging, we get into the plot? I mean, we can get into the plot, yeah. I do want to say, though, the de-aging CGI is not as bad as what I thought it was going to be. There are some shots where it does look really convincing, like the, a young Will Smith. The entire ending is the, worse. The ending's bad. It's like they kind of rushed that, and they didn't yeah. even try to generate it. But, like, uh, the good thing that they chose was to keep him in, like, dark areas throughout the movie because that yeah. made it look the most realistic. So, Ang Lee, that was a really smart choice. I really think that was one of the best things you could have done for the movie. But it seems like your production crew just gave up on, like, when he's out in the open or out in daytime and stuff on trying to make him look realistic. They are just like, nah, let's just make it look like a computer so um i i haven't seen any of the star wars but i know that some of the more recent movies that go into the past have done de-aging stuff like that they, they have and anyone who complains about that needs to watch this fucking movie i mean <laughs> i the grand moff tarkin from rogue one because uh the actor that played him died of course many years ago and so they made an entire cgi person out of you know him Stand and it, it, in some places it looked convincing like honestly it really looked like 
uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my it's head fine. for some reason, but he looked really convincing, and then in other areas he looked bad, but it was never as bad as Gemini Men. Now, granted, they have Disney money behind that film, but it's just like, when Ang Lee, pr- like, promoted that this film has, like, groundbreaking de-aging effects, I was like, there's no way. Like, I saw Captain Marvel, and that had pretty convincing de-aging effects, and I was like, I sincerely doubt it's gonna have amazing groundbreaking, uh, de-aging <laughs> I effects. I forgot that movie had Yeah, and guess what? It doesn't really have groundbreaking de-aging effects. Like, it, it looks okay in some areas. All of the CG, CGI, whatever you want to call it, it's not good. Um, it's not well done uh, in most parts. Like, there's these fight scenes that I'm pretty sure were only partially filmed live action and the rest were all CGI. This is what bothered me about the action scenes of this movie is Will Smith, the young Will Smith, is completely computer generated and you can tell. And I think yes. the reason he complained about the 120 frames per second thing about how the movie wasn't being shown in that is because that was supposed to look better in 120 frames per second because it's almost like a video game type character brought to life. And I don't think it would have benefited either way. Yeah, it looks really fake in all of the scenes where he's trying to fight the actual Will Smith and you can see like his arm is bending and he's really clear across his body. It's like Spider-Man... Uh, from 2002 levels. It's just kind of like, it's noticeable and for a movie that preached that its practical effects were really good, it's kind of a shame that this is the end product. And I get it, Ang Lee's like, oh no, it's not being shown in its true format, but either way, dude, it wasn't gonna look that good. I cannot wait to see the deep fakes of this movie where they take, uh, like, better... No, they probably had really good technology on this movie. There's probably people that are gonna take worse technology and make it look better with the deep fakes and stuff, and I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So I guess now uh, we can get into the plot a little bit if you if you want to start wherever in the plot, because we don't. I don't want to go through the whole thing. I don't want to relive okay. the PTSD. We can just go to the, the spots of the plot that just are... Our favorite parts? Yeah, I guess. Okay, so I'll kind of do the general opening. Mm-hmm. Basically, it starts out with... Uh, what, this is a pretty cool scene, the mm-hmm. opening yeah, scene. Yeah, it is a good scene. Will Smith, uh, older Will Smith, of course, uh, he's laying there. He's a sniper. We figure that out from watching it. He's uh, laying there, and there's a guy on a train that he has to uh, take out. And we're we're just assuming, oh, this guy's probably a bad guy, like the guy that's on the train. Uh, so Will Smith's doing this insane, or he's not actually doing it, but he's doing this insane shot um, where he has to shoot the guy while he's on the train that's going like 100-something miles per hour. And that is a pretty cool scene because yeah, he actually achieves scene. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He only gets him in the neck, but it's fucking still amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the one aspect about the opening of this movie is it establishes that Will Smith doesn't like doing it anymore. He's like, you know what, I want to retire. I've been killing, like, 72 people across my career, and I'm just tired of it. You live with demons. You live fighting yourself every day. He has insomnia. And so he rightfully wants to retire because he feels like he served his purpose at this agency. And then we just, like, cut to these random bad guys because he, like, goes out and visits an old friend and stuff, and he discovers, oh, hey, the guy you shot was actually a setup. Yeah, so... We, we find out that um, Will Smith is afraid of drowning, but we also see him going out in the water a lot. Yeah. Which, um... <laughs> kind of weird development, yeah, I'll, I'll say that. But he goes and visits a friend. The friend gives him, like, hey, dude, uh, you assassinated an innocent man. And he was like, what? He's just like a biologist. Yeah, and then these uh, FBI-type people are just watching him overhead, and then they give the big villain speech that feels like it's from an algorithm. They're like, oh, we'll just we'll pin it on the Russians. we got to take this out. we got to follow the Gemini program. The government is doing this, blah, blah, blah. And they go through this whole... The they, they go through this whole bad guy spiel that's been done in all of these action movies before, 
And I kid you not, most of the dialogue sounds like a computer wrote it because of the things they're saying and the way that they're trying to present their, like, evilness. It's just, oh, it really Um, is not that great. So, earlier this... What, like a month or two ago, we saw Angel Has Fallen? Mm-hmm. I liked that better than this. I, I do like that better than this. And um, the thing about Gerard Butler is he at least, like, is sitting there with his team going over how to make the script not sound manufactured. And he's not being de I know, and he's not being de and he's not trying to just simply, like, make a quick buck off of a movie with a fake tagline. He's like, no, just gonna give you the third movie in my trilogy, and then maybe leave it ambiguous for a fourth. But, like, what? it's just so odd that this movie preached so many good things and then falls flat in every regard so uh another thing in the plot that kind of bothers me is that they always like mention something about will smith's past about how he was really good at doing this and how it was harder to do this and then benedict wong's character gets introduced he's like yeah you and i brother we were in the marine corps and stuff like that we fought hard back to back and then when young will smith gets introduced they're just going on this whole spiel about how they're the same and they have the same traits and it's just like that's all that goes on during this movie is will smith bantering with young will smith and then reminiscing about the glory days um this could have just been called will smith fights and yells out will smith for uh an hour and 40 minutes and it's just like what i don't like about this movie in particular is that it tries to like throw in comedy at the same time because it's will smith he's a funny guy there's like one or two moments that i just kind of half chuckled but poor benedict wong is falling so flat in this movie. He's usually such a funny guy, but just in this movie, he's not funny. It was just such an issue. Yeah, I haven't seen... But isn't he the the fat guy from Doctor Strange? Yeah, he's uh, Wong... That, yeah, that's literally his name. That's his name. Just Wong. Funny. Yeah, and he's usually a really funny guy in most movies that he's in. Like, don't get me wrong, this is probably the stigma I have. But I always think of him in like the Marvel movies and just being the guy with the very deadpan face. He's like the deadpan humor guy. But no, they they try to make him a little more like you know just cartoony, yeah. goofy. And like, no, it's better when he does like the deadpan stares and kind of gives like the hey, I'm not really liking your jokes reaction and stuff. But this movie tries to turn him into like a cartoon character, and he's just falling flat in all of his jokes. They're just not that funny i have a question hmm do you remember what will smith's character's name is in this movie henry why do you remember that because uh throughout the movie they constantly are like henry do you remember this about your glory days henry do you know that your government's trying to assassinate you henry osama bin laden's back from the dead and the young will smith is trying to assassinate him and you have to go stop it's just like they would go and try and make this movie creative in some areas and in some areas it is good like the interaction between young will smith and will smith was actually done pretty well i like the the, catacombs i like that dialogue exchange that goes back and forth when they fight each other in the catacombs it's like the best fight scene in the movie because you can't tell what's so fake in it because they're in the dark versus the daytime one where they're on the bikes which is not done well at all you were laughing at a couple things in it so was i like It's just, this movie had so much potential to maybe be decent, but it falls flat by Ang Lee just making up excuses and throwing his script into an algorithm and just making it almost an unwatchable movie. So, I actually forgot about the bike scene. Mm -hmm. The bike scene is just not good. Um, And that's the one that's shown the most in the trailer. Mm -hmm. Um, Because apparently it's supposed to look really good. So, (laughs) the bike scene... It's not necessarily horrible, but it's not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a it's a cool idea if it's done correctly, but I, well, it's basically like five to ten minutes of Will Smith learning how to ride a dirt mm-hmm. bike. Yeah, um, that's all it is. It's not Will Smith riding a dirt bike well enough. It's it's basically them trying to get their John Wick moment. 
I know. And then, like, the young Will Smith is, uh, he keeps falling off his bike, and he, like, pushes some officers over, and they just all, like, fall over comically. He runs at them and knees them. Yeah, and they all fall over comically. He gets on their bike, and then he starts fighting uh, Will Smith with the bike and, like, hitting him in the face with the tire, and then Will Smith, like, goes up in the air, floats, comes back down. He pushes himself up. It's just so... But it doesn't look like he pushed himself up. It looks like he's in one of those air chambers that holds you in the air. Kind of, yeah. And it's just... It's not well done, and every other action scene besides the catacomb scene, I was just sitting there going, this could have been done a lot better, especially, like, the end action scene, in really that great. Like, I expected it to be, like, balls to the walls, insane, Will Smith is shooting a bunch of people, but it's just kind of, like, basic kills. He's like, shoot him in the neck. Okay, you see him get popped in the neck, and then at the ending, he breaks that yeah. code by shooting him in the head, because he says the helmets are already so powerful to where bullets won't affect, yeah. yet he caps two guys anyways. So... Is there anything else in the main plot we can talk about, or can we get into the best twist in any movie I've ever seen? The the Gemini villain corporation or whatever in this movie could have been interesting. Like, the guy that plays him is very... He sounds like a computer-generated character, like an uh, an algorithm character, basically, because he's big Come bad guy. Me, my son. And it's just like... That could have been such a cool concept and stuff if they would have shown a little bit more about how they do the cloning process because that's yeah. the one thing you're hooked in is how did you come up with this cloning stuff? Why are you doing the cloning stuff? Like, you could have really made the movie more interesting in that regard, but they don't explore it. They just continue to make him the algorithm big bad guy, and it just does not work. So I guess now let's get into your and my favorite part of the movie, the twist. So um, we see the bad guy laying down because young Will Smith knocked him out with his mm -hmm. gun. He, he lifts his head up, sees a guy in a silver suit standing there, and we're like, oh, what's this going to be? Yeah. Uh, you called it about halfway through the scene of them fighting the silver suit Oh, yeah, suit I knew it was coming, too. Uh, so <laughs> he gets to them, uh, breaks a window or something, and gets in. He gets to them, starts fighting them, and they're shooting at him and everything, and the, the suit pretty much takes up all of the damage i think yeah, it does. that and he uh the guy we we find out that the guy has like no feelings of pain or anything he has no emotions mm -hmm. so this guy is being shot by a shotgun and he's being lit on fire and everything it's it's a it's it's not an amazing sequence especially since it's so overfilled with so much mm -hmm. but they finally get him uh incapacitated i guess is the word yeah He's, he's sitting there, they take off his helmet, and it's another fucking Will Smith. Yes, there are three. It is a Will Smith that has been de-aged for the second time. I know, it's like, I was going, because halfway through the movie I was like, the worst thing ever would be is if like there was a third Will Smith with like less traits than the other two. And then boom, there's the Will Smith that can't feel pain or whatever. Yeah, the... The, one of the first things you said to me is right after he mentioned that he has a bee allergy. Yeah. You were like, oh, wouldn't it suck if the movie ended with him being stung by a bee and yeah. dying? Which we almost had in a way. Yeah. Because, um... They, so, we're jumping back a little bit, but I don't give a fuck. Because <laughs> this wasn't a good... This movie was a fucking train wreck to watch, so this is going to be a train wreck of a recording. Uh, so... He's they they go to a farm and Will Smith and his uh, lump, love interest and um, Wong are walking through this farm and they walk through this barn area and young Will Smith whose name I think his name is like Junior shoots old Will Smith with a bullet that is coated with bee venom yeah and we basically see him ha having this allergic reaction and we're like 
oh shit, is he gonna die? And you lean over and just say, Barry B. Benson. That's all I could think of during this scene was like, that would be something comical this movie would come up with or something. Yeah, and I was genuinely hoping we would get that, that scene, and then it didn't happen, and he just stabs him with an EpiPen. Yeah, and it's like, darn, well, there it goes. <laughs> Let's get back into Will Smith 3. So, the, he's sitting there, and they're like, do you not feel pain? And he's like, he doesn't say anything. He just dies. Mm-hmm. And then fucking old man Carl, father of Junior, comes out, well, father, air quotes, comes out, and he's like, oh, you, I did so much for you when you were a kid, and then wouldn't it be great if we had this army of people who couldn't feel, yeah. and they wouldn't lose their parents, and I was like, but you gotta think about the ethics of that. That is so unethical, and it's not a good idea, and then uh, Carl Jr. is like, pointing the gun at him, and he's like, oh, I should kill you, and then Will Smith is like, no, you're gonna break something in you that shouldn't be broken, and you're gonna see these ghosts, don't get the ghosts, kid, so he takes the gun from him and shoots him, yeah, um, Will Smith can live with the, old Will Smith can live with the demons, because he knows that what he's done is always he's gonna 51. haunt him, yeah, he, he, he ain't got much life left on earth and stuff, so, I feel like I'm I'm fucking having a crackhead, like, moment right now where I'm just explaining the plot of whatever's in my head. But I'm not thinking of this right now. I'm just trying to think of what might have happened. <laughs> so, the ending is a kind of neat wrap-up and stuff. They, basically, Young Will Smith has finally gotten off of his assassin, whatever company, the Gemini company, it's been dissolved and Demini. all that. And so, he is given a new life and is going to college now to pursue a career in whatever they were fighting over yeah, they at were the like ending. engineering computer and, science humanitarianism and then yeah will smith's just like oh well here's your birth certificate your passport social id all that we've made you a citizen basically I'll always be around to check on you kid and he's like oh that's cool they have a banter and they walk out and the movie ends and i'm just like that's it so this is where the worst cgi come or yeah cg cgi comes in because it shows young Will Smith from a distance who, I think he picks the name Jackson mm-hmm. because it's his mom's name. So, he's um, he's he's walking up with his group of friends but he's still about 100 feet away yep. and he looks worse than he has throughout the whole movie because it just looks like they slapped a, P, or a, a JPEG image of Will Smith onto the blank face of a an african-american male and then when he walks up it looks kind of better but still looks horrible yeah um and then yeah you said they're walking away and they're like oh i bet i could beat you in a race and he's like oh yeah so synopsis time because i'm done with this movie um so gemini man was a movie that really could have had a lot of potential honestly like let's be honest this movie should have been something with the way ang lee talked about it and the groundbreaking cgi and stuff i was expecting this movie to be at least better than okay i thought it would just be like a, a pretty generic okay time but no it just falls flat in so many areas and it's just a movie that i'm going to forget by next week because it just isn't that memorable so give your synopsis before you forget about the movie no no <laughs> um so uh, cinematography was all right the special effects were not good um the acting across the board from will smith was i guess okay he's pretty much he's giving, probably the best part he's giving his 100 percent that he's been giving for the past five to ten years mm-hmm. the female actress the love interest she was pretty good she was um 
a strong female side character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wong, he's pretty good. And then the main villain guy was just generic main villain. I didn't think he was amazing. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what Ang Lee had on his mind when he was making this movie. He made, because this is the thing about Ang Lee, is he kind of now has like, a, hey, I'm a, one of the coolest directors in Hollywood because Wait, he, made, he made he made Life of Pi. You remember that movie about the, the Indian it, kid I, in the boat with the tiger? In I it? remember seeing stuff yeah. about it, and the, like there was a lot of... Yeah, like, people loved it. They, yeah. they, it was critically acclaimed and stuff, and so that went to his head like, oh, I'm a critically acclaimed director, but and then, then he, he makes, made Gamini Men. It's just like, I, I hate it when that happens to directors they get one big moment where they create a film that everybody universally likes and they're like okay i can make like five more of these in within like two years so uh continue with your synopsis um i don't really have much else to say other than i don't know how to rate this movie well, let me help you out here. So, my synopsis would be Will Smith is the best part. The The cinematography's all right. I mean, the CGI ranges from okay to just meh in some areas. It's just like it could have been a lot better, honestly. Villains and algorithm. The entire movie feels like a script that was shoved into an algorithm machine and basically spat out and they made a movie out of it. Ang Lee really lied in the marketing of this film, it feels like, because... The 120 frames per second are not going to do anything to make the movie a lot better. No, it's not one of the most groundbreaking films you'll ever see in your life. It's just like this movie is a lot of lies and it's just really not that great. Could have been a lot better, honestly. This is just a bad film. So I'm just going to give it a 3 out of 10. Uh, now that you say that, 2 out of for me. 2 out of 10 for you? Um, Probably my lowest rated of the year. Yeah. 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 So- well, now the Fanatic. Or did you give that? No, a I gave three? that a ten out of ten. Oh, my bad. Anyways, um, um yeah, this was a movie. This could have been a lot better, honestly. I really do wish that this movie was, you know, marketed a little bit more as kind of a truthful, hey, it's just all right, the, the CGI is not groundbreaking or anything. But, like, this this movie could have been a lot. And I'm, a, I'm really disappointed in Ang Lee. This probably will make my worst movie of the year list because I'm just so upset at what this movie could have been. So, uh... This movie was worse than the Fanatic. I, in my really? opinion, the Fanatic was a better movie. Fred Durst made a better movie than Ang Lee. Mm. Twenty nineteen John Travolta made a better movie than twenty nineteen Will Smith. Yeah, we'll let the audience sit on that one. Thank you guys for listening. We shall now move into El Camino. So now we're moving into a much-anticipated film that both of us were very much looking forward to, and that was El Camino, A Breaking Bad Story. Now, this movie was something that I was skeptical about going in because... It has been since 2013 since Breaking Bad has really gotten a comeback in like a movie or TV show form. Now, there is Better Call Saul, which I do think is a very, very well put together TV show, but a lot of Breaking Bad fans are turned off because it's super slow burn. Like, they can't really get through it because it's not like the action-packed intensity of Breaking Bad and stuff like that. And I get it because Better Call Saul is a very different type of show versus Breaking Bad. But then Vince Gilligan was like, well, I do want people to see the story of Jesse Pinkman and what's happened to him because a lot of people are like, well, where did he go after escaping Todd? 
Dad's com or Uncle Jack's compound. And so this movie is all about uh, Aaron Paul, who is once again back as Jesse Pinkman. And Jesse this time is trying to escape. He's trying to get out of the country. People are hunting him. They're looking for him. Like the DEA, the FBI, everybody wants Jesse Pinkman because he is the lone survivor of the event that happened at Uncle Jack's meth compound. Yes. And so throughout the movie, Jesse's looking for friends, for people that can get him fake IDs or passports out of the country. He's just bobbing and weaving his way, trying to not get caught and find a way to get out of the country so that way nobody is ever looking for him again. Yeah. And I gotta say, Vince Gilligan, you are a mastermind. I don't know how you have made one of the most consistently made, like well-made shows this good. Like, yes. I, it's just amazing to me to think that, like, shows like The Walking Dead that are also AMC properties are just awful now because they go on too long for their own good. But Breaking Bad knew its story to tell. That simple five seasons and then it's over and then he did the spinoff and now he's done this movie and I don't know if we'll really get another one unless Saul Goodman maybe gets one for Better Call Saul. But yeah. the interesting thing about this movie was... I loved it from start to finish. I do have some issues with it. Not really a ton, though, because this yes. was just something that I was pleasantly surprised by. I love from start to finish. I have really missed this type of filmmaking, and I've really missed this type of, like, storytelling and TV shows anymore. What do you think of it? I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, um... You and I both stayed up really late to watch it. Yeah. Well, um, I, 3 a.m. was the drop, and yes. I didn't know about that until somebody on Twitter was like, hey, guys, El Camino's not out till 3 a.m., and I was like, you gotta be 3 a.m. our time. It yeah. was like 11 for uh, Pacific. Mm -hmm. um, so I watched it exactly at 3 a.m. right when it dropped. 3.06 for me. Uh, and watched it all the way through, immediately got done, uh, typed my review up, put it up on Letterboxd, and I was like, that's it. That's all I have to say about it. Except I have a little bit more to say. Uh-huh. Um, good movie. Very good movie. Uh, very, very. It it was definitely... It definitely felt like a, just another episode of Breaking Bad. Which is what I love about it is yes. it feels like Breaking Bad. Like, I didn't want it to have, like big on movie scale productions or anything yeah. because I loved it when it kept it simple like the show was simple Better Call Saul is simple and now this movie is simple and it all follows the same formatting yes. and tone as Breaking Bad that is so well done by Vince Gilligan he knew how to shoot this movie there is that look that movies have mm -hmm. with um, everything like yeah. the cinematography and everything that Breaking Bad doesn't quite have because it was still a TV show but yeah. it had uh, like full on cinema qualities this movie really gets the Breaking Bad qualities down more than it does the uh, cinema qualities, yeah. and I like that a lot better. Especially since it's uh, it was on it was a low budget; it was about six million, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was produced by Netflix and everything, which this is probably the best thing Netflix has put out since you really like Buster's. Scruggs, I, yeah, Buster Scruggs is really good. Which uh, I I still need to finish, but this is probably the best thing Netflix has put out in probably a couple years for their movie. This is pretty amazing of Netflix because uh, Vince Gilligan had bantered around for a while, do I put it in theaters, but he's also not really big on like the Academy and stuff like that. Like He didn't care if this got any Oscar noms or it didn't. Yeah. And now the rule of the Oscars as well, even if your movie goes to streaming, you still got to put it in theaters if you want the nods and like Oscar nominations. So Scorsese, yeah, Scorsese's doing that for his new film, The Irishman, but yeah. Vince was like, no, nah, this is for the fans of Breaking Bad. And yeah. I respect that completely. <laughs> He was more about finishing his story, telling his uh, story and everything, than he was about uh, awards, and, awards and really money. Yeah. Uh, he was. He just wanted to get it out there because he knew that people would love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I got to say right off the bat, 
Aaron Paul, a guy that had no acting merit and got a gig on Breaking Bad and has now become one of the better like better actors in Hollywood. Yes. Phenomenal job as Jesse Pinkman again. The way he captures that yes. internal struggle of like Jesse has PTSD from all the bad stuff that Uncle Jack and the Rednecks were doing to him and how Todd kind of psychologically messed with him sometimes and just he really really is always shifty. He doesn't trust a lot of people like even Badger and Skinny Pete when he's like, "Hey, I got to get out of here. You guys got to give me a car or something." He's like constantly looking in the blinds and he's just like on edge the entire movie and I love that that is one of the best things about it and then when he's finally across the border and he's in the car and he's driving through like Alaska or whatever you just see it like all lift away like he goes back to calm steadfast yeah Yeah. and it's just so well done to see Aaron Paul's acting range and I gotta say Badger and Skinny Pete were not too bad in this movie either see that was my concern going in was are they gonna be as good because like the actor that plays Skinny Pete it looks older like most of them look a lot older in this but what could they do like yeah. honestly there because like um, one complaint on twitter that i hated was everybody was like todd's fat he was a lot skinnier in the tv show but he's really fat here yeah jesse plemons put on a lot of weight see i for i have it's been a while since i've seen it yeah. so i don't really remember what he looked like back then yeah but if he did gain weight so what <laughs> i mean yeah and a lot of people were like well if they were filming this in private why didn't they just try to get him to lose weight maybe jesse plemons has a movie that he's got to be big for or something i yeah. don't know but like don't dog on the special just because it had one thing that wasn't correct with the show or whatever because it has been a passage of time like it has been yeah. a long time since breaking bad so all these actors were not expecting to get a call hey come film this special and I gotta say, the one thing that I like about this special is it doesn't feel large scale. It just feels like no. a very minor story that only has really, like, realistically one plot going, some, then that side plot with Todd and Jesse going on at the same yeah, time, yeah. which that is an element I really like. Because the we, yeah, we don't really get a lot, like, in the show of Todd and Jesse and that relate. Like, we do get some of that relation being built, but we don't really see what it was like when Jesse was being held captive, like, what Todd was doing with him and stuff. Because, like, yeah. uh, in this special, Todd's just treating him like he's a friend and all that, even though Jesse hates being there and he hates being near him and stuff like that and he's like yeah I, I was thinking about you know uh going into town and checking out my apartment and so he, he takes jesse with him and he's like yeah but you can't escape or uncle jack will get upset and they go to, to yeah, pay a visit to yeah. the kid and uh, they go into town, they go to his apartment, and they walk in, and there's a dead maid there. Todd doesn't even care about it, which is one of the things I've always loved about Ted, is he's just, like, a calm-headed, just, psychopath. Because yeah, he, he basically feels nothing. And he's also so, like, he, he's basically, like, a teddy bear, but also sort of a psychopath. Because he's like, yeah, she found my money, and I can't allow her to see that. And so I took her out, and I'm like... What logic is that? Maybe just like pay her some to get, and it's just. Or just explain to her I don't yeah. have full trust in banks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and Todd just makes a bowl of soup like it's not even a big deal that she's dead, and Jesse's yeah. like, "What? The, you've had her in this apartment how long?" Jesse's just like standing there, kind of in shock, and he's like, "What kind of soup you want, Jesse?" I'm like, okay. It's just it's so bizarre, and then. Uh, you get to see a little bit more of them, like, flesh out. Like, they're trying to get the body out, and there's this nosy neighbor that's constantly asking questions they have to avoid and stuff. And uh, when they're taking the body out to the desert, like, Todd makes Jesse stay in the trunk, which I thought was kind of an odd choice because, like, uh, in the beginning of the scene, or when they're going to the apartment, Jesse's up front. And he's, he's like, like, hiding yeah, in the hiding bottom. In the yeah. bottom. And then he's like, no, 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 just go to the trunk because they put that overcover thing on. Oh, yeah. And so the body's back there. They go out to the desert. And this is one of the best handled scenes to me. This is why I love Vince Gilligan as a writer and just as a TV show runner in general. So Jesse's told to go get a pack of smokes after they buried her. And he goes for the gun, obviously. And Todd just gives up and says, I'll take that, Jesse. 
and he like slowly marches, like doesn't even like intimidatingly like lunge like he's gonna yeah. attack him. He's just like, you know, I thought later maybe we'd order uh, a I, pie we'd, and we'd get some uh, yeah, beer, pet pizzas, yeah. and get some beers. What kind of pizza you like, Jesse? And and like Jesse has that moment of like he's th- he doesn't like he thinks about it, but he also knows the repercussions of you kill Todd. Jack's gonna find out the kid's dead. It's gonna be on Jesse's shoulders. Like there's all this rushing through his head, and at the same time, Todd is so manipulative with just the calmness of his voice and the false promise of like everything's gonna be okay. It's just broken Jesse at this point, and I think that's one of yeah. the most powerful things about the special is the way they continue that whole Todd is a secret psychopath. So I guess did you really like that storyline? Oh yeah, I, I I really liked that. Um, I liked the general plot following Jesse yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Um, the general like effects that they mm-hmm. did were, were really good. The cinematography is especially <laughs> top notch. It's just beautiful um, shots. I I did like the all of the actors pretty much picked up right where they left yeah. off. Like there was not a beat skipped yeah. with how uh, good they were. Um, we saw Badger earlier this year in Brightburn. Yeah. And I like this role a lot better than I did him in I Brightburn. know. Yeah. Well, it's just like preference, basically. And yeah. I like Badger and Skinny Pete, too, because they're like the good friends that everybody wants. Because they're like, hey, we're going to get you some money. We're going to have Badger drive a false car down to the border so that they follow that and think it's you. And then, you know, Skinny Pete gives him his beanie that he always wears. And he's like, Skinny, why why are you helping me, man? And stuff. He's like, because you're my hero and shit, yo. And he walks yeah. away. And I'm like, that's so that's so cute. I love that. And another thing that I like about it is this isn't just a fan service special because everybody yeah. it was complaining, where's Skyler and Walt Jr.? Where's Lydia? Where's all of these characters? And then where's it's just... Where's Trader? Yeah, Asax Trader. Where's <laughs> Huel at? And I'm just like, they don't need that, though, because they're not integral hey, anymore. You wanted Huel. <laughs> Everybody wanted to see Huel in the safe house, but I was kind of happy he wasn't in it because I don't know what Huel would really have done in this special. But um, I like it because the Walt, like the the White story is over basically. Like because Walter's dead, they acknowledge that they're literally on the radio. Like dead teacher, chemistry teacher Walter White, well, and yeah. then uh, Lydia who got poisoned by the stevia in season oh, five. They also yeah. say she's dead. Well, they say that she's in critical condition, but won't survive, and, and uh, likely will not yeah, survive through. Or something. Yeah. And so I, I like that too. That's another element in this movie that I thought was really, really well done. Um, another thing that I really like about it is like it, the minor cameos they have because like there's some fan service, but not a ton. Like yeah. uh, Joe, the car crusher that runs like the the plant, is back Mike. for a small role. Uh, Mike is at the beginning in telling yeah, yeah in a flashback telling Jesse about hey I go to Alaska start fresh and all of that. Um, even Walter White is in a flashback, yes. which was probably the most heartwarming scene. That in the was movie. the. Yeah, that was a really good scene. It was a uh, short scene, but it was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that was probably the most fan servicey thing in it. I w- yeah, and I I don't even think it's like bad in a way because no. like it, Walter's asking Jesse some real questions. I know he's like, "What do you want to do after all this? Like after you're done Breaking Bad, you ever thought you want to major in anything in college and stuff?" Yeah. And Je- he's like, "I don't know, like sports medicine." He's like, "Sports medicine." And he's like, "Well, I think you'd be good at business and marketing. You kill it there and stuff." He's like, "Yeah, maybe." And like. Walter genuinely cares about Jesse's future and stuff. This is before, like, they begin to hate each other in the ways because, like, Walter yeah. becomes an animal, a monster as the series goes on. And I like that season two aesthetic where he starts feeling for Jesse, trying to help Jesse out, and he's legitimately still doing it for his family, wanting to leave the money, which has always been a thing with the show. But, like, just so well done. A lot of people were saying you can see the bald cap a little bit on uh, um, uh, Brian, Brian Cranston. Cranston, and I didn't notice it. 
so it's my name, Hayden. It's my name. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I didn't notice it on Brian Cranston or anything like that. And I also just love like how it, it's even shot like season two, which is awesome because like the camera work there was about the same as season one. It's it's it, yeah. It's a lot lighter. Mm-hmm, yeah. Which uh, as I think it's very apparent as the show goes on, yeah. the lighting gets a little bit darker, and this is just like very bright, very mm-hmm. light. And or it, the sequence. Yeah, the season two aesthetic, and I love that. And so. I guess another thing that I really love about the special is uh, Jesse has, like, my biggest thing was, like, is Jesse really going to have any enemies in this? Is there going to be anybody trying to stop him? Well, there is a group of welders and stuff that yeah, helped. Yeah, like candy welders. Yeah, they helped make the, the plant that Jesse was trapped in as a prisoner for oh, Uncle like Jack the tr- and all that. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, they they are fake police officers that bought just, like, these coats from a Goodwill or something that had FBI or something on it. Police. Yeah, and uh, they're looking for the same money that Jesse's looking for that Todd mentioned at one point. And you've got that dynamic going on. And then uh, once Jesse gets his half and stuff and he's, like, going to his parents, which there's a great scene with his parents, too, that I liked where he's, like, telling him, hey, come to this pond where we used to have picnics. And, like, I thought for a minute he wouldn't really go there. And then, like, all the secret police are following the parents. And yeah. then he just sneaks in, grabs the money and stuff. And uh, he knows his parents. Don't yeah, care yeah. About him. And so uh, one thing that's done well is they bring back Ed, the guy with the fake ID that runs the vacuum cleaner yeah, yeah. store. And Jesse runs to him with the money and stuff. He's like, "Here, here, I got." It. And he's like, "Oh, you're 1.8 grand short." And he's like messing with him a little bit. And because Jesse kind of like uh, was a dick to him. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, he's like, "Oh, well, it's uh, all fair and everything." Yeah. So Jesse has to come up with that money. So he meets up with the welders. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this is the best. This scene. is a really good mm-hmm. suspenseful scene because yeah. uh, for a minute you forget uh, a very important part to what happens. So um, these welders get these like uh, dancers, strippers to uh, come dance for them, and then when they leave, he goes in and he's like, "Hey, I want uh, some of that money. Can you give me some of that money? See, I helped you. I didn't do anything wrong for you. You kind of owe me because you were one of the reasons." Uh, I was all trapped like that because you helped them. And he was like, uh, okay, if you want the money, we're going to do a draw. Because Jesse only has like a little like World War II yeah. gun that will hardly harm anybody. So uh, they're going to do a draw uh, and shoot. I forget what they're called. Uh, um, the standoff, basically standoff, Mexican yeah. standoff. A, basically a Western Mexican standoff, yeah. And uh, he, he's doing the countdown, three, two, and then Jesse just starts shooting him with the gun he has in his uh, Coat. jacket pocket. Yeah. And I, I, I really like that scene because it's so suspenseful because uh, it genuinely you're just like, wait, he only has the one gun, doesn't he? And uh, for a minute, I thought that the, the red-haired guy with the mustache, I thought he shot the other but, guy. Yeah. Uh, but then you see that Jesse has the his hand in his uh, jacket pocket and shot him instead like that. So he gets into that shootout with the red-haired guy, and it's it's a really cool scene to later get Jesse his to get Jesse his money that he needs yeah. in order to go to Alaska. And the second gun too was really nice. Uh, if you didn't pick up on it, that was a gun that he had grabbed. Uh, oh, kind yeah. of previous before the scene and stuff. And, from his parents' yeah, house. Yeah, from his parents' house. And so what I really like about it is afterward, after he shoots the two welder guys and then threatens the other three and they run off and he blows up I know where plant. you live. Yeah. yeah. Um, he finally goes to Ed, gives him the money, and then we see the, of course, the Walter White scene comes in, and then he's in Alaska, and Ed's giving him the break, like breakdown, what's your name, what's your date of birth, what's your parents' date of birth, social security, he's going through the whole spiel. Social security backwards. Yeah, and all that. And so then Jesse's, he's like, you got any final requests? And Jesse hands him the letter, which I already knew what it was, because this was something I was hoping they'd address, the letter to Brock. 
If you remember Brock, back in season five, Jesse was with that uh, that one girl. It's and, the kid. Yeah, yeah, the kid and and the mom, and he was uh, he was hoping to start a life with her and stuff. And then, of course, when he gets captured and tries to escape and all that and resist Jack, uh, Jack sends Todd to kill her, and Todd shoots her in the back of the head, and Brock is left orphaned. Yeah. This is something that I get that a lot of people won't remember if you haven't seen the show in years, but uh, the letters to Brock, obviously, and that really warmed my heart that Jesse's still reaching out, and he says this will be like his final goodbye to Brock. Yeah. And then Jesse, of course, drives off to the Alaskan Plains, and it ends. And I think yes. that's nice that you just leave it there, and it's left for you to interpret what happens to Jesse now. Because, well, he's you know he's okay. In Alaska, yeah. like how, kind of like how Walt did. Yeah, for a while. he'll just be okay, I guess. I think Jesse's gonna stick to it. He's, uh, I think he's definitely he's to his word. He's more mature now, and everything. He's getting his whole new life. Yeah. So, um, the gripes that I really have with this are not really major, other than like. Um, it's just that I don't remember a lot of the show, okay. so I kind of forgot a lot. Okay. Do you have, like, I guess just list one or two of the gripes, and then I'll list one or two of mine. Um, let's see. So, I don't know how necessary Skinny Pete and Badger were. Like, I know they were Well, he's the only people that he thinks to turn to after escaping, yeah. because there really isn't realistically anywhere for him to, like, stop and sleep, because he'll be on the run with insomnia oh, and probably yeah. hallucinating a little bit. So, of course, he's gonna turn to them, because they'll gladly take him in. I think they're integral a little bit. One of my, like, main things throughout most of it that I was kind of thinking was, like, alright, what's the hook? Where Where is Jesse gonna go? Because they pitter-patter yeah. around for a little bit that he needs the money, and once he gets it, then it like sets in the little plot device like oh hey you're short just this amount of money and you need to find yeah. it from somewhere and then he goes on kind of a little scavenger hunt to find it which I don't I, I that's not like necessarily a bad thing I think that it's cool that the, it has a small plot device and I guess it would just be like a personal preference thing I would have preferred if it didn't end that cliche or something well it would have been better than Ed just going fine I owe you but yeah. it, still you send him on another catalyst it, to find more cash it definitely felt like it could have been uh, split into two episodes uh, like the all the time stuff could have been its own thing and then all of the uh stuff with jesse trying to get uh mm -hmm. to alaska and stuff that could have been its own thing but i understand why they made it into a two-hour movie yeah, yeah 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 because that's probably all netflix would allow them all right so it's still really good so i guess i'll give my final synopsis yep. uh really good movie i uh i have my few gripes with it um I guess for general enjoyability factor, I'm just going to give this a solid 8 out of 10. Okay, that's fine. Uh, it's not the greatest thing in the world, of course. It's a really good movie. But it's just a solid 8 out of 10 for enjoyability factor and all that stuff along. Okay. Uh, I really like the special. This was one of the best uh, TV show, movie things, basically, fulling movie, whatever you want to call it. Aaron Paul is great. Cinematography is great. The storytelling is great. They have not missed a beat since Breaking Bad. Like, they've literally kept it the same tone, same way that the show would kind of run. Really like the way it wraps up Jesse's story arc. I like kind of everything in it. Like I said, the catalyst of him needing that 1.8 kind of feels like Vince Gilligan was just like, how do I stretch it a little bit longer? And that's fine, because I do like the confrontation and everything there. I just wish maybe he came up with, like, a better solution to why he doesn't yeah. have that 1.8 and stuff. But uh, for the most part, yeah, I would... I'm on the line right now, either an 8 or a 9 for this because I, I really like Breaking Bad yeah. and it's been a few years since I've watched the show and stuff and uh, either way I'm going to be between one of those I'll decide probably like at the end of the year because uh, I'm going to watch it again obviously I yeah. really liked it so You'll re -watch all yeah rewatch it so <laughs> I'm between an 8 and a 9 and then maybe whatever movie review next I'll settle on it but uh, anyways thank you guys for listening to the El Camino we shall now move into Jexy
So this movie was something that I was not anticipating. In fact, I bought the tickets as a joke because I was like, it didn't look good. It didn't seem like it was going to be good because like poor Adam Devine, no matter what comedy he's in, it's usually not really that great. And he's actually a pretty funny dude, but it's just like most of the movies he gets put in are not really that great. He but probably makes bank. though. Yeah, he does make bank, though. And so when I saw that him and Alexandria Ship were in this, I was like, OK, maybe it'll be like not horrible, but still bad. But after seeing it, it's just kind of meh. Like, I laughed at it a couple times, don't yeah. get me wrong, but it, it was just kind of meh across was, the board. It was a pretty basic uh, comedy it, movie. It, it kind of was. So, this movie, Jexy, is one that, honestly, it, it's got the most linear plot on the planet. So, this guy, played by Adam Devine, is attached to his phone 24-7. He basically grew up playing on nothing but people's phones. Yeah. And he's detached, he's a nerd, he's a geek, he doesn't know how to socially interact. And then he gets this phone called Jexy that starts to slowly ruin his life and basically treat him like crap comes across a girl that he likes and the phone pushes him to be with the girl he starts liking the girl more than the phone phone gets jealous you can probably guess the rest from here you've seen movies like this before it's kind of a rom-com i guess basically and so very it's a very basic bone structure of a rom-com yeah so i thought it was meh i mean i laughed a few times like usually i judge comedies on how much did i laugh at the end of the day so brian what'd you think of jexy uh, I pretty much have the same thought as you. It's just, it's just good. It wasn't amazing. Um, if you don't mind, I'm gonna go in through go through some of the class because there's actually a pretty. Uh, they got a lot of comedians yeah. for this, and um, I will admit most of them are funny. But it was like Michael Pena was hit or miss. Michael Wanda, Pena, Wanda, Wanda Sykes, Sykes had a few really funny. Yeah, uh, Charlene Yee, I think is her name. Uh, she's like the stereotypical awkward uh, Asian woman that's been appearing in a lot of stuff lately. And then Kid Cudi. Yeah, Kid Cudi's in here, yeah. which he has really nothing to do with the film it's, at all. It's basically just like, hey, we got this guy who was uh, who became pretty big lately like uh, if again. You, yeah, if you <laughs> saw Hustlers back in September, Usher has a cameo in that movie when he goes to a strip club. It doesn't really have anything to do with the movie, but it's just there, and that's kind of the Usher. case here. Kid well, Cudi has nothing to do with The Usher thing was because it was actually like, it, uh, he, uh, he actually did go to that strip yeah, club. Yeah, but it's out. just like he's there throwing money, and then that's it. It gives him notoriety. <laughs> that's it. Um, but other than that, this movie was somewhat funny. I think the best elements is when uh, Jexy is just saying the meanest things ever to uh, yeah. poor Adam because like it, that's where the comedy is and he's like I want to order these noodles and she's like no you need a salad you're fat and it's just like pointing out his insecurities how he's a geek how he's a loser that has no friends it's just like that's the funniest part of the movie to me and it's like the first act was so good at setting that up and like yeah. her just treating him like crap then like middle of the second act they stray away from like that a little bit and Jexy yeah. starts to fall in love and third act they bring it back like towards the ending but it was just like it was really funny in that first act and then it just fizzled out it, it was just kind of boring yeah so basically this movie was just preaching technology bad technology bad basically uh and i i get it but it's it's very basic like Stuff's, there's been stuff doing this for years. Like, uh, George Orwell pretty much... Uh, yeah, George Orwell. Uh, he's the guy that wrote uh, 1984, right? Mm-hmm. He pretty much uh, did that in nineteen eighty in his book, 1984. Uh, there's been Black Mirror. There's been all kinds of stuff that have basically been telling us, hey, technology's not good because of how fast it's advancing. We even have Elon Musk telling us that technology. Yeah, is bad. little Elon of all people yeah. too. Um, so it's it's a very basic like moral up to the story of like, hey, be careful with technology. Like, okay, I I'm pretty sure everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So one thing I will say about this movie that was like 
besides the sometimes funny comedy was like the little love relationship they try to give Alexandria Ship and Dennis or Adam I don't know why I keep thinking Dennis Don I just made that joke earlier but um so uh I like the relationship they have because he's so awkward like the first time they try to go on a date and stuff he's like saying the dumbest things asking the worst questions and stuff and she's like you know in society she understands how to actually interact like a normal human being she starts to get him on track and that's nice and stuff but then you know you gotta go through your checklist of cliches like oh she's gonna get mad at him because he's gonna think it's a misunderstanding or that she's gonna leave him then of course he starts realizing that the phone that he's with is bad which would be a girl in a movie or something like that yeah he goes back to her girlfriend slash phone gets jealous yeah rampage like you get a checklist of what you've seen in those types of movies my favorite part of the movie was the random kids in the theater who kept running up and down the stairs yeah that that was the thing too like this movie got advertised heavily on like snapchat and stuff whenever i would like go through people's stories and it played which is dumb because they're preaching that technology is bad and then they're advertising on like things that you pretty much need a cell phone it didn't really yeah like i didn't know this movie was coming out until like literally last week like i I was just going through snapchat it's like jexy the phone that makes fun of adam divine and i was like okay i mean i'm intrigued i remember seeing a trailer for it about a month and a half ago maybe oh really yeah i i remember it and i was like oh that looks dumb because i knew it was just gonna be another dumb comedy like i haven't seen a bunch of adam divine stuff i know he was in a pretty good tv show or something but uh he's pretty much been cast in like to into these not great comedies he's got the he's gotten the chris farley effect he's gotten these okay comedies so (laughs) i i don't really have anything more to say about jexy like if you've seen your rom-coms you've seen it a thousand times the only twist is that it's a phone that's mean that's that's about it uh i guess for my synopsis it's this is this is meth film like if you really like i don't want to say like out I don't know how to describe the comedy. Because, like, it starts off good. It's like that mean-spirited humor. If you like humor, millennial every, humor. Kinda. It, like, the mean-spirited humor is what I expected more from this film. I thought that's what was, like, what yeah. I was going to enjoy. But it's not really in here a ton. So that was a bummer for me because it just fizzles out. Um, basically, if you like millennial humor, like Brian said, you'll probably like it. It's a cliche film you've seen a thousand times before. you got a yeah. checklist you can go through. I just give it, like, four out of ten. It's just meh. So, um... I guess my synopsis will be i did like uh it more than i expected um i thought for a basic comedy movie it was movie it was pretty well shot um for me it's just down the line five out of ten okay it's 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 a basic bones comedy that's all we have to say about jexy folks we will move into whatever movie is next on the agenda So we just saw a movie that was rather depressing and is one of the better biopics that both of us have seen in quite some time, and that is Judy, the Judy Garland biopic. And I'm going to be honest, I really wasn't at first looking forward to it because I didn't know much about Judy Garland. She's the lady from Wizard of Oz, obviously. She played Dorothy. She sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I knew her that she uh, sang a couple other tunes that maybe my grandparents would know, so I didn't think this movie was going to be for me. Like, when I look at, like, Bohemian Rhapsody or Rocket Man or movies like that that are about the rock and roll artists, they're, they can be cart like targeted towards kids our ages and stuff i mean it's more our parents music it's, and all that it's more uh, the stuff like rocket man and uh 
Bohemian Rhapsody, those are more like the 80s revival kind of thing where they know that people young and uh, somewhat old will want to come and watch it. I think uh, this one was definitely geared more towards people who were alive and like listening and watching Judy Garland uh, in her career. Yeah, grandparents especially will get a kick out of this because yeah. they probably know the most about Judy Garland. But this movie is rather interesting because it does not take place throughout her career. It takes place in one point of her career and probably the most interesting part of her career when she's on the brink of irrelevancy. So in this movie, she really does not like performing. She really wants custody with her children. She's divorced four husbands. She's got a wreckage of a life. She has insomnia partially. She is just a wreck and is on the brink of nobody remembering her for her music. And she's financially not doing too well until somebody recommends, hey, Judy, go over to London. They love you over there. If you perform there, you'll make enough money to provide for your children and you can have full custody of them. And so Judy decides to take the trick out to London, even though she doesn't want to leave her children and performs there, but is still going through the same things that were in America. Insomnia, yeah. she hates performing, she gets nervous, she gets mad at everybody. And so this movie is kind of an interesting take. It takes a look at this portion of her life, whereas most biopics start from the beginning and then get to the end and then kind of cover that stuff and have more of a happy ending. Yeah. This movie has like a sappy ending, I'm not gonna lie. It leaves you both sad and happy sort of at the ending. Yeah. And throughout a majority of it, I was just kind of like, my goodness, this is so much different from the other biopics that have come out this year that I was blown away, and especially Renee Zellweger, which we'll get into in a minute. Phenomenal, dear. What did yeah. you think of Judy? Uh, I really like this movie. You, uh, like you said a couple times, this was not like most biopics we've seen. Uh, Rocket Man uh, was probably the best one we've seen this year. This is kind of up there with the better mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. Uh, this one kind of reminds me of the uh, Jimi Hendrix biopic that I uh, seen about a year or two ago. Now, it was uh, on Showtime or something for a little bit. It that biopic takes place during like the right before Jimi Hendrix gets famous. This is like right after Judy Garland uh, was famous pretty much. So this uh, biopic was really interesting because you, you never really get that part of the uh, career in biopics because usually it's someone famous who died at the height of their career or something. Mm -hmm, yeah. Like Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, I gotta give Renee Zellweger a ton of credit where credit is due. She does a very, very good job playing a broken Julie Garland, playing a Judy Garland that is on the brink of collapse. What I wasn't really expecting this year was for there to be any female role out there that was gonna blow me away. Like, Lupita Nyong'o is very good in Us. I mean, that was the one I was thinking, okay, she'll probably take the Oscar and run away with it. And now people have been talking about Renee Zellweger for Judy, and yes, I can see why, because Renee does a fantastic job. I think she really captures like that whole irrelevancy of an artist and how artists are starting to feel like they don't really have a purpose anymore in the world. The music they're performing day after day is the same. They expect the same audience reactions. They give the same routine and they go home feeling like worse than nothing. What did you think of Renee Zellweger? I, um, her performance as Judy Garland was really good. Uh, was she doing the singing as well? I don't know if she was doing the singing or if that was uh, the original Judy Garland's audio. I, I, I don't know. It's hard because it also looks authentic, but it yeah. also looks like she could have sang it at the same time. So uh, if she did do the singing, wonderful job. She mm -hmm. sounded really good. If she didn't, good job at lip syncing at least. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that her um, performance very much matched up to how we would think like an older person would play. Like Judy Garland only died at 47, mm -hmm. but she very much... Uh, I think most people accept that she was acting kind of like an older in her age, even at 47. That is very so true. So I yeah. think uh, Renee Zellweger pretty much uh, covers that really well in her performance as Judy. She definitely has that like uh, hunched forward neck kind of 
that um, a lot of older people develop as they get older. So she gets that down really well, and uh, she gets, like, the insecurities that Judy would have had uh, down really well, like her body um, actions and everything is real or body language and everything is really well done mm-hmm. yeah uh i gotta give props to the camera work in this movie i was not expecting there to be a lot of long shots in this movie most yep. biopics like to cut around and have quick edits and stuff but uh there are a lot of moments in the movie where it just lingers on her performing on stage even the opening where she's walking through the wizard of oz set it doesn't cut it just follows her and the studio yep. head there are a lot of great camera angles in this movie especially the cutter uh color grading in some scenes really uplift it i also got to give credit to the story for being interesting like we both said because uh they do two things in this movie they firstly cut back a few times in the movie to when she was on the set of wizard of oz and when she was like basically coming early up in, in fame. Her career yeah and, and so everybody's telling her you can't eat hamburgers you got to maintain a skinny figure you know you've got this yeah. beautiful voice and stuff you can't do what a normal girl wants to do and of course she wants to do what a normal girl wants to do and so it's interesting to get that peel back layer because uh i know at times i would have preferred if just it was just the main story of renee zellweger because yeah. honestly you can tell the brokenness in her you can tell hollywood has broken her as a person yeah. and i feel like we didn't need the flashbacks to kind of show us that in some ways because i was like oh i re- you can really tell through her performance that she is really broken and that all of this turmoil in uh hollywood has caused her to become what she is yeah um and you they really the flashbacks were really good mm-hmm. uh i'm not sure how accurate uh the sets and stuff were but for the most part set design was really well yeah set design was really well done too uh it does give us a little bit into her life like when she was uh filming some of her movies she didn't get to sleep she was like filming eight or she was working 18 hours a day Mm -hmm. sometimes so she hardly ever got time to sleep she wasn't allowed to eat uh really and that really messed up her life she she was underweight throughout this whole movie Mm -hmm. and uh it it really does show us like when she was younger she was told like that she was fat Mm -hmm. even though she was really skinny she was like a really skinny very beautiful woman Mm -hmm. uh but she was told that she was fat and therefore she did get these insecurities as she got older uh they they kind of hint at something with one of the producers of Mm -hmm. the wizard of oz where he might have like done something to her uh, but they don't hit on it too much to where uh, it's like a main plot point of the movie. It's just kind of like this stuff kind of did happen, but we're focusing on her life now or her life right before she died, like six months before she died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, the emotional uh, scenes in this movie are very well done by Renee Zellweger. The scenes where she has to talk to her children and she kind of has to tell them, hey, you're going to be staying with your dad for a little while, possibly the rest of your life. And her kids they're not really accepting of it because you can hear like oh so mom's not coming back and she's breaking a little bit and then uh there are even the emotional scenes where when she's little talking to the studio head she she feels a sense of like fear and guilt for you know making him mad and stuff and just a lot of great moments especially when she starts going on tangents about her past husbands or even her husband mickey in the movie that she marries for a little bit and stuff and even the relationship she had with mickey rooney forever that didn't go anywhere like you see the turmoil that was going on in her life and how all these bad relationships kind of fed into this horrible lifestyle she now lives in great element to peel pack and kind of get into the movie yeah uh which we, we didn't really talk about mickey her uh i guess her last husband mm-hmm. uh in uh this movie it's he's played by this actor uh finn whitrock or something like that i don't know how to pronounce it but he was uh he kind of rose to fame in american horror story i believe oh. uh 
but he he does play his role kind of well. I'm not sure if he got the accent down that he was going for. I'm not sure where he was supposed to like be from. The accent was kind of weird. America, for, so southernish, kind of is what it, it sounded like. It kind like. of sounded like he was going for a Boston accent in a way. And then he would switch to southern, and I'm like, oh. Okay. I would catch a glimpse, a glimpse of British in there too. Yeah. Like it, his accent confused me. So I don't know if that was bad acting or if it was on purpose, just to like make it like whatever mm-hmm, yeah uh so that was odd they do hint at her uh friendship with mickey rooney i don't think she had a relationship with him no she wanted the relationship she wanted, okay. yeah uh but it seemed like when she was younger she was more attracted to the whole wanting to please the crowd yeah. thing mm-hmm. than she was uh wanting to be be with mickey rooney who uh developed he became like kind of a heartthrob of his time oh yeah Mickey Rooney is huge back then. Um, yeah. So I got to give credit to actually the performances in this movie because yeah. I was expecting Bohemian Rhapsody type performances where it was just like montages of her singing or montages of her doing the same thing and then like a big happy ending where she's on stage kind of doing what was in Bo Rap. But yeah. we don't get that and we also don't get Rocket Man where it's just like it's a musical that's going on at the same time. We get something that kind of it, stands on its own. Yeah. It, it's interesting. The, I, I think we can both safely say that this is kind of an Oscar bait movie. There, in some ways, in some a, ways, it's yeah. appealing to that older audience and everything, and it's uh, it's kind of a heartwarming uh, and also really sad movie. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that because mm-hmm. uh, this was her. This was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's on like on par with some of the greatest movies ever, uh, or even a, an amazing a biopic at that. Because I'm not sure how true to life this is. Because this is based on a screenplay called end of the rainbow i believe or a stage play called end of the rainbow mm. uh so i'm not sure how entirely accurate it is to her life but this was really good for what it was yeah and uh, a little bit with the singing sequences too like i said how the shots follow her around and stuff not every performance is the same in this movie like she yeah. starts out nervous and then gets into it and then she has one good performance and then another performance she's getting yelled at and she's kind of bombing then another one she just completely bombs and can't sing yeah. then she does really good at the ending it's like oh they're gonna end on a high note and then no it's her like trying to sing somewhere over the rainbow and she just like stops yeah. and just says i can't keep doing this she's sitting there on the floor singing to them mm-hmm. uh which that was kind of good because it shows that even as she's getting older she does have the anxiety that uh, most younger uh, artists would have when they're first starting and you would think as you get older you or as you keep performing you would lose that anxiety but this is a perfect example of no judy garland still had that anxiety late into her career right before she died Mm -hmm, yeah uh so complaints like i said i guess i'll reiterate some that i had um first off there is a lot of moments in the movie where it feels like you can cut out, you know, getting oh, yeah. back to her when she was little and stuff because the movie's already so good at showing the emotional distraught that Renee Zellweger has. Uh, kind of like what you said, there are some Oscar bait elements to it and stuff yes. because I can very much see old uh, voters at the Oscars voting for this movie to get some recommendations and stuff. I oh, know, Julie. Yeah, <laughs> overall, there are a lot of things in this movie that are great. Uh, some of the, like, you know they have to throw in some stuff like Judy gets mad at Mickey in one scene and she's like oh it's not my fault and then she's like oh no yes Judy it's your fault yeah, and then they she's had to just throw like in that basic yeah movie you're like over. oh yeah it is my fault and it's just like you know stuff like that, that you've seen in a uh, movie before but overall yeah. this is a very very good biopic do you really have any complaints otherwise uh, like like what you said um all the stuff with young Judy I think that definitely probably could have been cut out some of them were maybe important but for the most part uh, Renee Zellweger really gets that point across mm-hmm. in her acting so uh this movie could have been a whole maybe how many minutes like 10 20 minutes shorter yeah probably without all of that stuff which 
I, I guess they were going for time with those added scenes. Uh, other than that, the main complaint I have is, again, the Oscar bait kind of stuff and the boring movie plot stuff that they kind of just felt like they threw in there where it was like, oh, we need to have some drama here, even though it doesn't need to have drama. Mm-hmm. It can be its uh, own thing. It can just sit there as a part of the movie. It doesn't have to be always dramatic or something. Yeah, yeah. So that being said, uh, I guess I'll give my synopsis now. I really like this Judy Garland movie. It's better than most biopics I've seen that have come out this year. I do think, like you said, it's a little bit Oscar-baity in some areas, and the whole Judy Garland thing could be cut out. But if Renee does get nominated, I would not be upset. She does a phenomenal job. Camera work is great. Musical sequences are great. Overall, this is a movie that I really, after leaving the theater, felt like, you know, I had learned a little bit because I didn't even know that uh, Judy Garland died at 47. Like, that was kind of big to me. I did not know that either. Yeah, and that that was something that kind of blew me away. I was like, oh, wow, her life was cut short. And so uh, I did take a lot away from this movie. I did like this movie. I'm probably going to give this movie, like, a solid, probably seven. I I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So, this movie, it did teach me some stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, when I was looking up the cast and crew on here, uh, I found out that Liza Minnelli, uh, well, the person that plays her in this movie, I didn't know that Liza Minnelli was her daughter. Yeah. I didn't uh, know that at all. I guess I don't know a lot about Judy Garland. Uh, So, I did learn some things from this movie. It also definitely hit on some, like, it pulled it pulled the heartstrings mm-hmm. in some parts uh so that's all i really have to say about the movie because I, I i went through everything already you kind of hit on some points mm-hmm. i'm also giving this a 7 out of 10 okay uh it's like i said it's not quite as good as some of other biopics i've seen but it's still really good for what it is mm-hmm. yep all right so that'll pretty much cover judy garland next we shall move uh, move into zombieland double tap So, with the month of October not providing movies I really want to see, like The Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit and a bunch of other films so far, I've been kind of ticked off a little bit, I'm not going to lie, because it's leaving me scarce for the rest of October. But, luckily, Zombieland was there to come out and not disappoint, because I was like, there's no way that this movie does not come out, like, weeks after everybody's been anticipating it. And Zombieland 2 Double Tap was a movie I was sketchy about at first, I'm not going to lie, because... A, there wasn't a whole lot of marketing until September, and B, they weren't really saying a whole lot about this movie, which made me think, oh no, it's going to be a bad sequel, and that was kind of the hook at first. I was like, it's not going to be good. They, they didn't market it as much. There's something they're hiding from most general audiences. They're trying to keep it in secret maybe to film it, but I was not honestly looking forward to it because I thought it was going to be bad. Thank goodness that's not the case. Ruben Fleischer, man. Love you to death for making a faithful sequel to the original. I really yeah. love this movie. It feels like the original. So... This movie picks up 10 years after where the last one left off in 2009, and everybody's kind of grown up, especially Abigail Breslin, I guess I should say. She's like our age. Yeah, she's like our age now, I think. But um, uh, in this movie, we see the whole gang is back together, of course, and they're all basically living in the White House. But Little Rock decides, hey, you know what? I'm tired of this. I want to go off and do my own thing, which is the catalyst that kind of gets them to go on this adventure to look for her. And so the movie is basically about the gang trying to find Abigail Breslin's uh, Little Rock the entire film and going on a bunch of pit stops basically kind of like the original where it was just pit stop pit stop and then the main story towards the ending and that's what this movie is and it didn't disappoint i i loved this this was such a great sequel and it's one of the few sequels i think i will enjoy and honestly i really love this film brian what'd you think of it uh this was probably the best sequel to any movie i've seen because uh like good sequels need to be talked about everyone talks about the bad sequels to movies and everything 
but this is a good, this is a really faithful, really good sequel, I didn't get into Zombieland until about a few months ago, because you guys were like, hey, Brian, you, you really need to watch this fucking movie, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch it, and I watched it on Netflix, and I was like, wow, that was pretty fucking good, I yeah. laughed a lot, mm-hmm. and I got the same thing out of this movie, I laughed a lot, unexpectedly, um, I, I wasn't expecting a little bit of the movie, like, the trailer doesn't really spell out a lot, which I'm happy for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie is very good about the whole secrecy thing, which I guess is why it had limited marketing, was they were just trying to keep everything a secret, and I, I really appreciate that. But uh, one thing that I really uh, think this movie was so good at was recapturing the same comedy from the first Zombieland. It doesn't try to make everything 2019 political jokes or anything like that. It stays in its own little 2009 humor and stuff. And the humor is now we are getting different characters in this Zombieland universe that we haven't yeah. seen before. So uh, we get this blonde-haired cheerleader chick that is dumb as a brick, she yeah. literally can't pronounce names right. She literally is not fit to survive in this world. And Tallahassee hates her, and Emma Stone hates her. But, of course, as we know, Jesse Eisenberg is like, oh, well, you know, she's kind of hot. And she's also kind of like the abusive girlfriend a little bit. She's like, you're going to do as I say. We're going to have sex right here on the Lincoln bed. And he's like, okay, yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. I think and it's more like she's, like, uh, trying to coerce him into it because she hasn't, like, oh, seen yeah. another mm-hmm. person in so long because she lives in a freezer. Yeah, and then uh, another new character we get introduced is the pacifist which of course Tallahassee hates he hates hippies he hates ta- uh, pacifists and stuff he just wants to beat him up and I think that's also an interesting element and then we get almost like looking in a mirror these characters that Luke Wilson and uh, the guy from the Verizon commercials Thomas Middleton whose name I can never remember who are kind of like uh, somewhat a reflection of both Tallahassee and of course of Columbus and so yeah. this movie is very interesting because I wasn't sure what it was going to do and I, I love these new characters so I guess what do you think of them uh, I I, for the most part, I thought Thomas Middleditch's was pretty good because he was basically Jesse Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't really seen him in a lot, so it was interesting seeing him in this. Luke Wilson was okay. I don't think he really captures the same uh, vibe that Woody Harrelson really captures, which they're supposed to be like the same character. Uh, but he feels a, like a little more cocky than uh, Woody, Woody Harrelson's character mm-hmm. usually is. But they were fine characters for what they were in the movie, which was like a little bit of plot i guess uh so for the new guy the guy that i think i don't know if you watched uh nickelodeon back in the uh, the early days but he was on that show victorious yeah from when we were kids uh that's all i know him from he might have been in other things but i thought his character was okay he Mm -hmm. was just supposed to be there to be like the idiot who doesn't know what he's doing mm-hmm. pretty much and he he's <laughs> he's playing songs and he's like yeah i wrote this one and she's like oh yeah really and it turned and really he's just singing songs that like bob dylan wrote and stuff so that's kind of a funny character uh the other new character nevada mm-hmm. which uh she was probably one of the better characters i was oh, introduced yeah. because she's supposed to be a main character and she becomes the love interest for woody harrelson of course, because she's like a badass and she's living in the uh, what's it called, the Hound Dog, which is yeah. like a motel-ish for Elvis memorabilia. Yeah. Yes, uh, which <laughs> that's kind of a whole thing because he wants to get to Graceland and stuff. But the worst character that was introduced was um, the blonde one, whose name I forgot. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd, I thought her character was just like she. She was definitely playing her role well, which was 
dumb blonde that does nothing except say dumb stuff. And is annoying, yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy her because of the high energy she brings, just the fact that she's always so perky and smiley, and then when they all start being sarcastic, and she's like, wow, you guys are really mean. It's like, it's interesting to see this character in the Zombieland universe, because we've been so used to the cynicalness of all of these uh, yeah. main four characters, and then we get just this bright bundle of sunshine that they can feed off of and play off of, and so I really enjoyed her character, despite how annoying she got at times, and yeah. overall, I think that her, I thought she was going to die at first in the movie because they, they kind of throw in this, hey, yeah, yeah. she's possibly going to die here. And it's like, oh, no, I wanted to see if they were going to do more with her. It'd be a waste to kill her off. And she gets brought back, thankfully, and they feed off her a little bit more and stuff. And so I was pleasantly surprised with the new characters. So I guess now we'll talk about the pit stops in this movie, the places that they kind of stop yeah, along the this way. Yeah, really, because this pretty much follows the same exact, uh, like, set up as the first movie especially with like the ending but the ending of this one is even more climactic than the original i believe mm -hmm. but this is pretty much like the the same movie just with kind of a it's it's different, but at the same time, it's the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, So, uh, when Wichita comes back and she tells him about how Little Rock has gone off with the Berkeley guy and stuff, they all decide to head out, and they're going to go and obviously find them, but uh, they're stuck going in a minivan, and Tallahassee hates minivans. Yeah. He hates anything that isn't... Who doesn't hate I, I know, and he basically hates anything that isn't his creation or something that he deems cool or something, and so yeah. uh, it's great, and they have to take, of course, the annoying chick along the way with them, and so their first pit stop is when you see that RV that's off in the distance. Yeah, yeah. And Tallahassee wants to take that. He's like, that is something the king would respect. The king would love it if we rolled up to Graceland and that. That is such a tribute to him. And so they spend, like, this first little sequence, which I found humorous, trying to get this RV. And, of course, the dumb blonde hair well, chick isn't doing anything. Well, it starts off with them in the White House. I know, I know. Yeah. But I meant this is, like, the first the, Yeah, the first stop. stop after the White House. Yeah. And so uh, they start off there, and uh, I like this sequence because it's shown the growth that these characters have had because, like, uh, Jesse Eisenberg is calling out different points of where the zombies are coming. Coming from, and each of them are kind of doing their own part and taking them out. Yeah, like if one, six o'clock, two o'clock. Yeah, if one o'clock. of them's about to get taken out, the other comes in and saves them. And the most interesting part was uh, the way that they kind of handled this sequence. So they introduced this new zombie that's like the T100 and I thought it was an interesting concept because at first it dodges the bullets I'm like oh so these are going to be like revolutionary smart zombies or something they're going to be smarter than pretty much all the zombies we've seen yeah. in Zombieland and that's not the case as the film goes on they're just kind of the same dumb brainless zombies I was like oh really I was kind of well, hoping they'd be smarter they're just supposed to be really hard to kill yeah but uh, it's but it seemed, movie yeah. does introduce some uh, newer like ideas for the zombies oh, yeah. like mm -hmm. he's, he's talking about how like there's like different kinds of zombies that you can figure out. There's the Homer, which is the dumb zombie that's easy to kill and you don't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. There's the, uh, what's it called? The, uh, Hawking, yeah. which is the one that's really smart and is able to figure things out. And it shows that sequence where the guy like locks himself in that room and the woman is able, the zombie is able to figure a way to get in like a, in like a really smart way. And then there's the ninja, which is the one where it's like, you don't hear it coming. And the first thing you hear is your scream, which yeah. is pretty funny. Uh, and then we get the T-800, which doesn't get introduced until that, well, we hear about it, but yeah. we don't see it. And I guess another point. thing is, like, then the movie gets heavy on, like, it's the T-800, the rest of the film, because you yeah. don't see very, you see a couple homers, I think you see maybe two in the film, and then you maybe see At that. At the end, and you, then there's a couple You see, the... like, one Hawking, which is in that sequence, I think, and then you see, uh, one of the, uh, ninjas. Ninjas. The and ninja I was like, oh, is really? out underneath the RV. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah. like, oh, come on, I wanted to see a little bit more of them play off these new zombies, but they're like, no, the T-800 
is the most deadly, so we're going to focus on it. I mean, that's fine. I mean, granted, yeah. they hyped up the zombie, but I just wanted a little bit more from these new zombies and stuff. Because, like, the homer we got was chasing a butterfly, which I found rather comedic and I think stuff. there were three homers. Which One was the one that was an example where he was talking about it. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was like, oh... Two o'clock, and he's like, "Oh no, that's a homer. Never mind." And then we get one later on, which we'll get to that when yeah. we yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting to see the whole new zombies and stuff in this first pit stop because once they get the RV, Tallahassee's like, "We're gonna roll to Graceland," and then they like pop the tires going yeah. over something, and uh, he's ticked off, and he's like, "Well, why don't we just take the ice cream truck?" And you know, uh, Columbus hates clowns, so yeah. he's like, "We're not getting in a clown car. That's not happening." And so, where do they go back to? The minivan. the minivan yeah and so after that first pit stop i'm not gonna lie i was like all right i'm hooked a little bit and then of course the uh, the dumb chick eats the the trail mix with nuts in it and she starts to kind of act like a zombie she starts yeah. to get the feeder the well, what happened stuff. was uh her foot got attacked by the ninja zombie mm -hmm. uh and everyone was uh, like okay uh and then later on when she's eating the nuts she starts to have that reaction and everyone's like oh crap she's turning into a zombie so columbus takes her out and chases her down and uh and he shoots two shots mm -hmm. and they get back in and they drive to uh to the uh hound dog yeah. place right mm -hmm. yeah yeah and once they get to the <laughs> hound dog place i found the sequence to be kind of interesting because you know this is where tallahassee's gonna go big he's gonna start going crazy over all this uh elvis memorabilia it was, it was the bill murray part of this movie basically yeah and it was just like he was going crazy for elvis and all of the stuff he had and then this new chick comes in and she's actually pretty interesting like you said this nevada chick because yeah. i wasn't sure what to think of her at first i'm like oh she's gonna be a carbon copy of tallahassee no she's not she's a badass she, yeah woman. she's kind of her own independent <laughs> thing and i was like all right that's interesting and then of course we get luke wilson and and, uh, Verizon Thomas store. Yeah, Verizon. I'm just going to call him Verizon store guy. Just call him Verizon. Uh, yeah, pretty much. They show up, and then they're, of course, the mirror, uh, like, not opposites, but they're the mirror reflections. They're very similar. Yeah, and to... I was like, okay, this is interesting. I, I want to see where this is going. And they play around with it a little bit first. Like, oh, of course, uh, Verizon guy is going to list off all of these different uh, commandments. He calls them yeah, commandments. That's his spin. Yeah. And then Jesse Eisenberg fires back with the whole, uh, I've got rules. rules. And they're going back and forth for like a good five minutes about that. And then, of course, Luke Wilson and uh, Woody Harrelson are doing their whole, I'm tougher than you, I'm tougher than you thing. I'm like, okay. I don't this, like this you. This is, this is funny. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. But like, where are we going with this? That yeah. was my whole thing. I'm like, where is this going to go? And it does it, go somewhere. It goes somewhere, but I wasn't completely satisfied with it. I didn't Be mind it. It was like, so they go out. So uh, Luke Wilson and Verizon guy go outside and they start fighting off the zombies and they come back in and get bitten. And of course, two of them are like, oh, no, I feel fine and all that. And then we get this fun sequence that I really love where they're trying to kill their opposite zombie figures. Yeah. There's a lot of great humor in that where like Woody Harrelson is smacking Jesse Eisenberg by mistake and stuff. Yeah. And he accidentally hits Jesse Eisenberg with this like jar or something. And then uh, later on during the fight, he hits him with the fucking guitar. Tar. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I like this sequence, but at the end of the day, I was just kind of thinking, all right, where did the sequence really go? Like, what was the point of introducing them? Because I get it. It's a funny gag to see that, like, these characters, they don't understand that these are their complete, like, parallels. These are literally them in different bodies and stuff. Like, I get it. That's funny. But what's the hook, though? Like, what was the point of it was what I was trying to think about other than comedic value. Uh, I'm not really sure how... Uh, I would combat that yeah, question. Because it's kind of hard to think. But like. I guess it's like, uh, it's supposed to be like everyone thinks their uh, surviving styles are different. And it comes back and you see that like they have the exact same idea. Like Luke Wilson and uh, Woody Harrelson are all the are, are almost the exact same. And you just, you'd think that like 
Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg are the only two people like mm-hmm. that during the apocalypse. But it turns out there's two people exactly like them, and I guess it is played up for a comedic effect as well. And it's it's pretty much uh, that entire sequence is pretty much spoiled for you in the tw- trailer. It is, except and, for the end part. Yeah, and I I was hoping that this would be something they play off of the rest of the movie or something, and then we kind of learned that there is a difference between these characters or something. But it's kind of played as a comedic uh, scene, uh, and I was like, oh, I wanted them to explore I'm kinda a little bit more. I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that because I uh, I didn't want to have to. Um, think about those two characters the whole time. I was kind of glad that they killed him off like oh, that. Oh, you didn't like him that much? I, I was, like, I don't get me wrong, I like Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg, but two people trying to be the same exact thing as them wasn't working for me. All I right. was not a, a fan of them, so I'm glad that they got killed off so early. Alright, so after that pit stop, then they pack back up and they're heading towards that Babylon place, and of course, yeah. who do they run into that they thought was dead? Blonde-haired chick, and yeah. she gets back in with them. It turns they... out Jesse Eisenberg shot two shots above her head, and yeah. not into her head. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, Jesse Eisenberg then uh, rolls up to Babylon and stuff, and they're like, again, you can't have guns, we meld them down and stuff, and they go in, and they confront Little Rock, and Little Rock's like, yeah, I don't really want to stay, or want to go with you guys, I feel safe right here in this small community and stuff and so then that makes Tallahassee go well okay if she's safe here then I don't have a purpose I guess I'll leave and go my own ways I'm like okay so they're gonna split up and I was like this will be somewhat interesting if they go on with this because I don't know if they were just like hey maybe Woody Harrelson's done with the franchise maybe uh what's her name Abigail Breslin is done with the franchise and I was like okay that that's interesting if it's just like Tallahassee and her and then they have to find two new counterparts but then they all come back together, and then yeah. uh, Little Rock's like, oh, I changed my mind. I, I want to stay with you guys. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, he ru- he he's driving away, mm-hmm. and he runs into the uh, T-800, and he's like, T-800s. And he starts backing up and does the whole, like, stunt, like swerve mm-hmm. with the truck thing. Gets back to Babylon, gets up there and says, the, uh, stop the fireworks, stop the noise, stop the music and everything. There are T-800s coming. We got to uh, prepare for this. And he start, like, starts planning everything out and everything. And when they get and when they're doing it, their plan fails. Uh, which, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, they set up that like diesel tank and whatever, and have the it all the fire going to it and everything, and it explodes. And you're like, oh, the T800s are dead, mm-hmm. and they're still alive. And they start attacking where Tallahassee and the gang are, uh, and they're killing all the zombies. And they're like, you know what, guys, this might be the end of the road. And they start hugging. And then the mustard truck comes up. <laughs> yeah, and then that's, yeah, Nevada Thank comes Thank God in. for rednecks. Yeah, Nevada comes in, they all load in, they do a fun sequence with the monster truck, do a flip and all that. And I, I enjoyed it, I'm not going to lie, it was a very, very fun sequence. And then uh, they're going up the stairs, and they've already had this whole thing set up where they're going to create, like, a barrier for the zombies to run through. And yeah. then Woody Harrelson's going to jump, catch onto this hook, and they're all going to basically fall off a cliff. And I was like, that's interesting, because they hinted that earlier in the movie when uh, he's telling the story of this Indian blood that he claims he has. And he's like... Yeah. Yeah, they used to make the buffalo run off the cliff. And I'm like, is that going to be important later? And then it is. I'm like, all right, that's good setup there. And I, I enjoyed the end of it and all that. I know that Little Rock just kind of being like, yeah, I'll stay with you guys. Why not? I hate Berkeley. He's a poser. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I went on this whole journey yeah. for you. And the uh, <laughs> Pretty much uh, Jesse Eisenberg gets his girl, which is uh, Wichita. She finally accepts his proposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tallahassee gets his woman and she... I don't, I don't think they get married. I think they're mm-hmm. just a thing. Yeah. And then uh, Little Rock is like, yeah, I'll, I'll be with you guys. I don't just, uh, what's his fucking name? Berkeley? Yeah. Is a douchey guy who thinks, or who claims that all these songs are his own, even though they're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, of course, it ends with them. They're driving the 1955 Elvis Cadillac and yeah. driving away. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah, that was... 
it was a good movie. It was only about a 98-minute movie. Yeah, it wasn't too... Like, it, like the original was, like, what, an hour 30? It was probably like around that time, Hour 20, too. something like that. And so uh, this movie, of course, added, like, maybe 10 minutes on, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. that, that's fine. I, I'm glad they made it a little bit longer. Uh, before we get into the end credit scenes, what the both of us cannot wait to talk about, because yep. I legitimately love this end credit scene. We, uh, we knew there was going to be one... Mm-hmm. But and then they give you two. They give you a second one, and I was like, "Hold on, Hayden." That's their double tap. Because you didn't know, I don't think you didn't know there was a second one, did you? Well, I didn't. I heard that there was a post-credit scene from somebody earlier, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So I guess we'll stick around. So we we sat around uh, hoping for Dan Aykroyd, but we didn't get Dan. Aykroyd. Well, I didn't. I didn't know what they were gonna do because Bill Murray was uh, casted. But yeah. we'll get into that in a second. Um. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, like I said, this is actually a very, very faithful uh, adaptation to the first Zombieland. It doesn't really change anything, make anything yeah. super different. I like that they still do the rules. They do everything. They're not afraid to change it up for you know today's critics and stuff. Because like a character like Tallahassee, a lot of critics don't like nowadays because he's that very strong-headed character that wants yeah. to do things his way. And I like that they he's didn't. He's headstrong. Yeah, they didn't change him at all at this movie. They kept him the same way and. I really respect that, that, you know, Ruben Fleischer was like, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll do my own thing here, I'll just make my the same movie, movie. Do yeah, he'll thing. do the same thing. Uh, he did direct Venom last year, so this was a very good rebound for him, Venom. and I'm very happy that he made this. Um, you have any complaints? Because I know you uh, watched the first Zombieland, you had maybe a few, but were there any this time around you didn't this like? This one, uh, like I said, I didn't like the Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch character. Mm-hmm. I thought that the dumb blonde girl, she was okay, I wasn't a hu- huge fan of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that the cinematography was pretty good. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, um, there was one other thing I was gonna mention that I didn't like. Oh, how, like, it makes sense, but how, like, uh, Columbus and Wichita are, like, fighting the mm-hmm. whole time, it makes sense, but it, it, it was also just, like, I, I, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of, it got yeah. tiring after a while, which I think was kind of the point. Yeah, it, it's basically like your typical relationship of, oh, you're with this new girl. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to act jealous even though I'm going to pretend that I'm not. And I'm like, okay, I yeah. mean, yeah. Um, so I guess my complaints are, like I said, I wanted them to do a little bit more with Luke Wilson and the Verizon guy. I was just reaching out, hoping that they were going to do more, but, you know, they don't. And I was like, okay, I guess I kind of accept so that. So I guess we're kind of the opposite on that one because mm-hmm. I didn't want them to do anything with them. I, I wanted, wanted them to keep kind of going because, like, when you get Luke Wilson in this, I'm like, what are you going to do with Luke Wilson? What more can you do with him? They could have, honestly, and I would have probably wanted, I would have wanted more, honestly. Um, like I said, the pit stops and stuff are all great. I think everything's great. The whole relationship <laughs> thing between uh, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone, I could have done without. And the ending, or I guess when all the characters are like, oh, yeah, we're going to split apart. I was like, okay, so will they really do this? Will they make it interesting? Like, they're not just going to come back together at the end. And they came back together, and I was like, oh, I, I would have, like, and this was just personally me, like, they all split apart, and maybe we get our own little solo movies of what their adventures are. No, I don't think I would have liked that. You don't think so? No. I would. I like it much better when they stick together as a group because they're able to bounce off each other with the comedy. Yeah, but I was hoping it would be like uh, Tallahassee, Nevada a little bit. Oh, and then yeah. maybe like you get your Emma Stone, Jesse Eisenberg, and then Little Rock. They See, do I, would, I would be fine with another movie of them as a group, but separately I'm not sure because I don't think it would have been as interesting. I know, uh, but I just hate it when movies separate. do the whole, hey, we're going to split apart and then come back together at the ending. Like, We've seen well, that, the, it. I, I the know. original kind of does that. It mm, with Emma Stone and Little Rock, where kinda. they go to the the um, carnival place and then they uh, Which meet is back one, up with yeah, Tallahassee. One thing in uh, Zombieland One that I always hated was like they were always leaving each other. I was like, oh, come on, just stay yeah. together, guys. They 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 do something like that at, towards the beginning of this one when they're at the White House and then uh, Emma Stone and 
what's her name leave after mm-hmm. he proposes to yeah. her and uh i thought that was like okay i guess they're sticking to their old ways but then mm-hmm. she comes back a month later <laughs> yeah uh so that being said i really did enjoy this uh zombie land 2 double tap i can't wait to see what happens 10 years later because that is a working theory is that we're just going to check in on these characters every 10 years i wouldn't mind that. i wouldn't mind that so 2029 book it um like so woody harrelson's gonna be old as fuck oh he's going to be very very old and... he'll be in his like 60s or 70s maybe? He'll, yeah he'll be old i mean i don't know i think he's old. in his 50s now so he might be in his 60s by the time that comes out we'll see but that being said i really did enjoy zombie land double tap brian here's synopsis uh i kind of already handed out what the things are that i don't like like the luke wilson and everything that being said um everything else is pretty good this was a funny movie and this is what i'm gonna say i'm bumping my uh rating of the original movie up to an eight and i'm making this an eight as well because that's how much i enjoyed it mm-hmm. this uh this is probably one of the better movies that i've seen this year in comedic uh purpose and in general pop purpose because i did like feel for some of these characters maybe not as much as i felt for characters in other movies but i did definitely like this movie a lot mm-hmm. so the original zombie land for me has always been an eight i've always really enjoyed the first zombie land and i enjoyed this one too like i said there were a lot of things i enjoyed about it and really appreciated that they didn't do anything different versus the original and i really really enjoyed this film do i like it as much as the first or on par with the first maybe a little less it's not really a, like a whole lot better than the original because the original is just <coughs> lightning in a bottle that you can't get rid of i'd probably give this movie like an eight probably two but so the, the yeah. other eight's stronger for zombie land one so you're the zombie land one for you is a strong eight and this is like a light eight yeah light eight it, it okay. could fall to seven depending on if i rewatch it i'm like eh, i don't really like it See, i consider this the perfect sequel for this movie oh really? and if they do do another 10 years later thing i hope it's just as good yeah it'll be interesting to see how they do it so now the end credit scene which both of us really were not understanding or expecting at all i, and I, I didn't was like, know if there was an end credit scene yeah. but you didn't get up and i was like huh there must be one mm-hmm. <laughs> so do, do you want me to get into it i'll kind of start off so okay they, i'll do the last one so jesse eisenberg is like okay I know that I killed Bill Murray and I feel bad about it and stuff, but I figured there'd be a great way to kind of give a send-off to Bill Murray, kind of show Bill Murray, and but we have to take you back to Z-Land 2009, so they take back, yeah. and Bill Murray is getting interviewed for Garfield 3, Flabby Tabby, yeah. which is probably the greatest Easter egg and probably the greatest reference for Bill Murray's career ever, and so throughout... Uh, regrets? <laughs> there, yeah, which comes back at the end of the first Zombieland when they ask him if he has any regrets about... Anything. Garfield. Yeah, Garfield. And so... Then the people are interviewing him about Garfield, and they're like, can, can you do the hairball? They're trying to get him to do the hairball, and it's like a gag thing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so Bill Murray doesn't want to do it, and then the one uh, interview guy starts to throw up, and so he's start, yeah, he starting to become a zombie, and so Bill Murray picks up a folding chair, smacks him over the head, says, he sorry. WWE's yeah. Then Bill Murray goes out into a crowd of people that are be- are all zombies, and he starts beating them to death, which is amazing to see Bill Murray just, like, dive and weave and beat people. Yeah. Like, he takes two plates and breaks it over a zombie's head. <laughs> Uh, head he like beats another guy with the chair this one uh latin chick that was kind of uh giving him the interview walks forward and he's like he says something in spanish and then hits her with his yeah. own sign and then throws her there, over there was there he there was the one where he says i had afraid of no ghost and then hits the zombie yeah, in the yeah. face with a steel plate and then after he hits the latin chick he he like breathes and then it's like i hate mondays and walks away and it cuts and i was like that is perfect this is a beautiful <laughs> mid-credit yeah. scene could and, not have done anything more satisfying with that and then uh it goes through all the credits we get the full credits experience 
experience this time. And we get a post credit scene, which is not as interesting, because it feels more like a blooper that they just tacked onto the end. Yeah. And he was like, uh, here, here, I'll do it for you. And he's like, I'll do it with an accent. And he's doing like a, yeah. a Spanish accent, yeah. uh, furball, like throw-up thing. And then he's like, oh, pardon the accent. And it just cuts. And I was like, that, that, that was pretty funny. Yeah, that, we was, needed uh, that. that was actually pretty good. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, that will pretty much conclude Zombieland Double Tap. So a little FYI for the people that are probably going to be upset because I don't know when this movie, these two movies are dropping. And I really need to know soon from both AMC and Regal. Because I really need to know when these are coming out, guys. You can't just drop them on a random day and go, oh, hey, Hayden, rush to the theater to see them. So... The Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit, like I said, these were two films I'm very much looking forward to, and The Lighthouse is my most anticipated film of this year, yeah. and so I was very upset to discover it was not coming out this weekend, because if it were to come out, the list of like what I wanted to see was The Lighthouse, Zombieland, and then Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's going to be the list, and so it didn't come out, and neither did Jojo Rabbit, and I don't know when either are coming out, because the theater I go to picks up movies late, and it kind of ticks me off a little bit, because all these bigger chain theaters and bigger yeah, cities are getting there's, it. like, nothing within a, f like, 50-mile radius of our state that's picking yeah, them up or something. And it's kind of stupid, and I really hope that, like, A24, just movie companies like AMC in general, start to, hey, pick up more films, because they literally, I checked on the app and stuff, they still have, like, Toy Story 4 and The Lion King in theaters. Jeez what does Christ. it still need to be in theaters for? Disney has made their profit. Get rid of them and put in films like that and it's just like I'm starting to hate movie theaters that are doing this especially the ones in my local area because they're just like oh you know what we got to keep the Disney films in that have been in for like three four months but we're not going to put in these new experimental indie films and it's kind of taking me off a little bit so if at the end of the month this is the last movie we review Zombieland don't get mad at me I, I did not expect this to happen like it could be November before either of these films come out and they may have to go on the November podcast or I'll make my own separate podcast for them I don't know but just I'm a little ticked off about this. I, I really am not happy. Uh, it, it is very much annoying because, like, I, I also want to see The Lighthouse, especially now that I've seen The Witch. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jojo Rabbit just looks like a, kind of just looks like a dumb, fun movie, but it also it's looks gonna, interesting. I love Taika Waititi, so. Uh, yeah, he, I saw Thor Ragnarok, and I thought that was really good, and I haven't seen any other movie he's done, but I thought that was really good, and I was like, okay, so this guy has a pretty promising career. So I, I will be interested in these, and uh, I think the other movie you wanted to see was Parasite. Yes, which they also have not said anything about, yeah. which again ticks me we off. We did a see a trailer bit. for it, so maybe that's a hint at things. I to hope. Come. And then we saw that it said advanced tickets coming soon, but you know how advanced tickets works. Yeah. Um, it, that could mean like it's coming in five months. Fuck you. Yeah, and so if we don't get the lighthouse till the end of the month, or, or even next, yeah, month. or even next month, I guess we'll kind of leave our footnote here on October. <laughs> so I like October better than December. Like it or better than September, my bad. Oh, September. Yeah, okay. um, I like it a lot better than September. I mean, granted, there wasn't like a whole lot of great, but it was still a lot better than what we got in September. I've honestly forgotten what we watched in, in September. Yeah, it, it September was a really there bad was something. Month. There was that Astra. That was yeah, the best that, one. that was probably it. But uh, other than that, there wasn't anything. Yeah, that good, October was a lot. Oh, Rambo. Yeah, uh, October was <laughs> a lot better in terms like yeah, we had Wrinkles Clown. Yeah, you had your Gemini Man, but you still had some films in there. Oh that were, fuck, like, I forgot about the Fanatic. Yeah, or, or the, the best movie we've seen this year. That was another September one. But like, uh, yeah, in October you did get your uh, your Gemini Mans, and I'm your sorry for that for the people. Stop it. That uh, like that film. I guess I'm sorry if I hated it and you liked it, but at the same time I. Just just didn't really care for it um but we did get joker 
Joker this month. We did get Zombieland this month, and we did get Jexy, which was all right. What and are you so, talking about? Joker sucks. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, but I, I think this month would have been a lot better if we did get to see the Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit, because yeah. that probably would have capped off This would have probably been month. your, like, biggest podcast. Oh, yeah, this would have been the biggest podcast. It's, yeah, it's got a lot of anticipated movies and stuff, and a lot of pretty good indie movies. So, those two were yeah, if this is the last review we do for October... This was a good way to end it, because I really enjoyed yeah, Zombie Land yeah. and stuff. Uh, moving into November, we will be moving into Oscar bait season, so we will be uh, kind of experiencing new films and stuff. We, we kind of already did watch Oscar bait with Judy, but other than that, there hasn't been a lot of Oscar bait that we've seen this year, month. No, uh, in November, we're most likely going to get, because like the Mr. Oh, the Rogers... Harriet yeah, the Harriet Tubman movie, Mr. Rogers movie drops, that Knives Out is dropping because the Academy likes Ryan Johnson. There's a couple other movies I can't think of off the top of my head that are also dropping, so November is probably going to be a more old man critics month because they're making a lot of feel good films and stuff so we'll see how it goes but anyways thank you guys for listening to the october podcast if this is the conclusion i really want to see the lighthouse and jojo rabbit i i also would like those to be the the last two yeah because those would be good ones to end it off on i know but if this is the end that being said thank you guys for listening i guess we'll see uh next time